everybody. Perfect. Thank you. Dear listener, it's the time. It's the moment you've been waiting for. 2018 Marvel Cinematic Universe. Black director, black cast, all black everything. It's the transatlantic rebels, and this is all about Black Panther. Wakanda forever! Right, ladies and gentlemen, a very special transatlantic podcast this week. It's all about Black Panther, so we're dipping back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, something that we've uh, we visited frequently on our podcast. And of course, Rochard is a Marvel expert. He's a world-class expert. I'm going to ramp up the pressure on him, actually. Um, the, the other thing is, is he's black, so this is just doubly awesome to have Rochard on and... Um, and doing Black Panther, something that we've talked about for quite quite a while and we've been looking forward to. It's finally here, it's finally out, and uh, we are going to be doing spoilers. There's no point, frankly, in even doing like a spoiler-free section at the beginning and then jumping into spoilers. Uh, you know, if you've seen it, listen to the podcast. If you haven't seen it yet, just stop, go watch the film, and then come back to us um, because we're going to be delving into all aspects of it, basically. So, um, So I got it in the UK on Tuesday, uh, which was like three or four days ago, well, about four days ago now. So I've actually managed to see it twice now in the cinema, which is something I generally don't do, but I felt it was definitely worth it, both in conjunction with this podcast and just because I think it's that good a film. And actually the second viewing improved a lot of what my initial misgivings were. Uh, there weren't many misgivings, but there were just a few. Um, and then Rashad, you saw it yesterday, didn't you? Which was Thursday. Yep. And were you excited? No, I mean, at, at this, be honest with you, at this point, I just, I just have expect. Ex, I can't even talk to that. I have expect expectation of Marvel movies. Being a Marvel fan since I was a kid and all the comic books, that at this point, I just trust them with pretty much anything. So I wasn't really surprised about how good, how good the movie was at this point. I think for for me personally, and I know it's like I said, it's like it's like one of those things where it's like it's it's not for everybody in Marvel Cinematic Universe. But if you get bit by the bug and you know what they're going with, I think also I think the difference between me and some other people is I think it helps a lot, a little slightly more that if you follow the books, you know what they're doing, where they're going with certain things, rather than if you're um an average person where you'll still get it and you enjoy stuff like that. But there's small little nicks in here and there that if you were an insider, you'll be more rewarded. But doesn't that I don't I think that Marvel's smart enough to do it where. If you go into it as an average person, you need you don't have to worry about the, all the small stuff that's going on at the background. So for me, it's like I've especially with this last couple of movies that came out, I'm I'm so comfortable with them now that I'm not even worried about the movie being terrible. I think at at least you'll get a decent movie at this point. Yeah, and I think you make a good point. Like one of my initial things was I was just going to say I think Black Panther is kind of like a standalone one for Marvel and. I think you could almost give this to pretty much anyone and they'd get something from it, which I wouldn't say about a lot of the Marvel films previously. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't even bother telling my wife to watch like Ant-Man or something like that. I you know, she might get bits from it, but I don't think she'd really be enamored by it. 
Whereas I think this, she hasn't seen it yet, but I would be comfortable taking her to the cinema to actually watch this just as an entertaining night out. Forget superhero this, that and the other. It's just a good film. And it does seem to drag in a lot of references and... not maybe not it not kind of dialect, directly cribbing or anything like that but it definitely pulls in feelings from other films like i've said this on twitter and i, I noticed a lot of other people have said this too um avatar it has a real avatar feel specifically in the world building kind of stage of it um the second viewing which i had today i mean that really feels like star wars the initial star wars no sorry actually it feels like phantom menace bizarrely enough there's a lot of phantom menace references in there um whether by product or design, I don't know. Um, Spider-Man, I got to feel. James Bond, but that's more specifically the kind of Q and technology aspect of it. Um, there's just so many different things. But I think the great thing is that the director and the writers and the cast, they managed to put their own twist on everything. It doesn't really feel like they're just directly lifting a, a blueprint from someone else. This feels like their own work, even though obviously it's within the Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um it feels unique, like definitely. And it feels worthy of originality. This doesn't feel like something that's just like a remix, basically. Uh, I mean, what do you think? No, I mean, like I said, going, like I said, my experience is going to be a little bit from yours because I'm so used to what this stuff was. Like Wakanda's been around since, I think, it, as a matter of fact, Black Panther, the actual character, came out a few months before the actual Black Panther party came out. So that's how long Black Panther's been around. So Wakanda's been around for like a long time. So comic book fans are kind of used to that whole entire thing of the separate nation and everything like that and the politics between the um the avengers and black panther just a little aside it's like the way it works is pretty much like how black panther would join the avengers in the comic books but in the comic books it was basically just for him keeping an eye on how the western world works rather than actually joining them kind of similar in a way of like civil war where black panther was really was with iron man but he wasn't really with iron man he was just a means to an end to get to somebody else so kind of like wakanda's always had that thing where it's like they do their own thing this actually goes into the movie, like, we'll get into it in a minute, but it's that thing where Wakanda's always been this separate party, and they've been the most powerful, and they've been the most uh, rich, and then anything that affects them kind of affects the rest of the world in a sense, and that kind of goes towards what the end credits will get to at that point, too, but it's been like that for a while, so for me, it really wasn't really surprising. It's weird, because comic books fans for a long time, this probably I'll probably wrap, when we get to the end of this, we'll probably, I'll probably say something like this a little bit more, but it's funny, because Come, and I want to say something about the standalone thing for a minute, a bit, a bit. Because it's funny because that's how comic books actually work. It's like, and it's kind of like that thing where you have a situation where it's like you say things are standalone and there's a bigger plot where the Avengers movies like kind of like the bigger plot and then the separate movies to varying degrees are separate. Some of them need to more, need to know more things than others. But it also kind of goes back because Kevin Feige is a big, um, Star Wars fan and he kind of follows the George Lucas like ideology where in the first Star Wars movie where you you're thrown into this world with no rules pretty much like you don't know what a Tatooine is you don't know what Jedi are you don't know what this is that and Lucas kind of had this idea like okay I'm throwing you into this kind of world and you got to figure it out and it's kind of the same thing with these Marvel movies how the comic books are like you can go and pick up the book and you may not know what the hell's going on but they give you just enough to kind of like get a tiny grasp and if you want it's like a, it's like a, like a drug dealer in a way and kind of like they give you like bits and pieces of certain things and you can go back later on to kind of like pick up on it but you are right where it's like, I think not since Doctor Strange and maybe the first Captain America, um, where it's like you really don't have to know anything outside of those movies. It's like a beginning, middle, end story. But in the bigger picture, they're going to have ramifications later on. But you as a moviegoer don't have to worry about that. All you have to do is worry about the particular story right there, right now. And 
Um, I think there's a reason why when we get to the end of it, why there's two end credit scenes. And there's a reason I think why they had the one end credit scene specifically after the full movie was ended rather than sticking it in the middle. Because I think it has more of a bigger ramification for the bigger universe rather than the actual movie itself. Yeah, uh, I mean, my initial thoughts on the film as well, just before we kind of jump into the the, the, the weeds, basically. Um, after after I viewed it on Tuesday, I gave it like an 8 out of 10. And I said, it's really good. It's really entertaining. It's not perfect. There are issues. Um, you know, adjust your hype levels, basically. So since then, since watching it again, I, I, st- I still think that on a couple of things, but they're much more kind of nitpicky things now for me because now I've seen it a second time and it's kind of like you said, we start, I got a real George Lucas feel from this. I have to admit much more so than maybe because we did our star Wars podcast like a couple of months ago on the, on the most recent star Wars one. And we've kind of bemoaned the lack of Lucasness of it and stuff, but this felt like uh, it had real Lucas touches to it. I have to admit. Um, I mean, I haven't sort of jumped too deep into, into why, but um, like thinking about it. But anyway, overall, I, I think it's just this is a real triumph of a film, I have to admit. I, ju- I can just see people coming back to it again and again and again. And also the great thing is this, I mean, this is a starting point for Black Panther as well. You're not going to get every single aspect of Black Panther like 100% nailed down in this film. You know, it's a starting point. I presume, I don't know, Marvel, so it'll probably be a trilogy or whatever. But then he's going to jump into the Avengers films and all this kind of stuff. Um, like, it's quite, a, it's quite a lukewarm entry for, you know, T'Challa as the Black Panther himself. This is much more of a team game, basically, which which I will talk about later. Um, and like I said, I think this is the most palatable film possibly that Marvel have done if you were just giving it to a newbie or a casual viewer. Because it's, like you said, it's basically self-contained. You don't really need to know that much. You know, if you do, then fine. Or if you know a few things, then fine. But you don't have to, not at all. I, I bet there are a lot of people going this weekend or in the past couple of days to see it who haven't watched most of the Marvel films. They might have caught the odd one here and there, but they don't really care about it. You know, oh, it's just superhero stuff. But this, because it's become an event for other reasons, um, I think they were they were wise to do that, basically, make it, make it more self-contained. It just stands on its own two feet more. Um, and like, I think the last thing is there are just so many countless like little touches and brush strokes here and there that when you you got over the emotional roller coaster of that first viewing and then the second time you're just a bit more chilled because obviously you know what's going to happen i mean from your perspective you know you probably knew what was going to happen because of the comic books but for me i didn't so that second viewing is just it's so rich like you could just freeze frame it almost at any point in the film certainly when there's like a, a sort of wider cinematography and the amount of work that must have gone into this is just mind-boggling. And I think from memory, it's one of the most expensive films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they've made thus far. I think it cost them like a couple of hundred million or something like that. I don't I don't think they typically spend that much from what I've heard. Maybe the Avengers ones, but the other ones, yes. not so much. Um, and you can tell, I mean... They do such a great job of world building. You know, if anything, my first viewing was I was more blinded by the world viewing more than anything else. And the second viewing, I was kind of over it. So I got, got into the more character nuances and the sort of little touches here and there. Um, so yeah, that's my kind of initial roundup. So why don't we start kind of going through? We're not going to go through the film chronologically or anything like that, but we'll just sort of take random points and just expand upon them. So. I don't know if the viewer, sorry, not the viewer, I don't know if the listener knows this, but actually the first couple of test podcasts we did for this, I don't think I've ever released them. They're actually about um, 
about Fruitvale Station and Creed because Rashad said, oh, there's this guy, Ryan Coogler. And I, I had seen Creed, but I hadn't really taken that much notice of Ryan Coogler. And, um, and so we, we actually did these two. You'll probably never hear them because they were pretty dreadful in terms of like the sound quality and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Rashad put me in touch with this Ryan Coogler chap, basically. And he's come to do Black Panther. And how did he get selected by, uh, by Disney and Marvel? The, I mean, the first thing is they offered it to Ava DuVernay, first of all. That was the, fir- that was the first person they went to. And then um, I think she turned it down because I guess her, her vision and Marvel's vision didn't necessarily connect. And um, so she went off to do another Disney movie called Wrinkle in Time. And that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, and she's like, and that's another side story where it's like, um, she's getting a, a she's the first, she's getting a hundred million dollar woman for a black woman and getting all that kind of straight. And it's funny because her and Ryan Coogler were across each other in, in different rooms while they were cutting their movies together. So they would give advice on each other. So going back to Ryan Coogler, basically, um, there's, um, a, a short history of, of Marvel is basically there's a president, Kevin Feige, and then he has two lieutenants, which are basically Louis D. Esposito and, uh, Victoria Alonso. And then there's a bunch of smaller producers underneath them. And one of those producers were Nate Moore. And Nate Moore is a black man. And he was a fan of comics way back when a Black Panther fan. And um, he was the one that actually got Kevin Feige to get Black Panther into Civil War. So there's that thing right there. So basically, he saw Ryan Coogler was getting finished Creed. And he wanted a black voice. They know they wanted a black voice for um, Black Panther. And the, the two of the most upcoming black voices c- coming up were Ava DuVernay and Ryan Coogler. So they went for Ava first because of at the, at the Selma. So after they didn't get her, then he went for Ryan Coogler and they, they brought Ryan Coogler in and had a bunch of discussions. And Ryan Coogler was very clear where he wanted to go with the story. And they were very clear where, where, where they wanted to go with the story. And they were all on the same page. And then that's where it went from there. Yeah, that, that's fascinating because actually Ava DuVernay, so she's she's directing uh, Wrinkle in Time, which comes out in like, I think a couple of months, right? I literally started reading that book today. It's just so funny. Um so that comes out no in about less than a month now from now. Yeah. So um so yeah I'd never read it before I literally started reading it today. Um okay yeah so Ryan uh, I mean I think Ryan Coogler does such a great job here. He's he he's really kind of interested in the emotions and the balance of things and actually allowing people to develop their own reasons on film for why they're doing what they're doing so often you just don't get any kind of sense of why the villain is doing what they're doing or i mean frequently okay you get the hero's journey and all that kind of stuff but but the villain is just they're just bad and that's it but here like especially with killmonger um you just get such a sense of exactly why he's doing what he's doing and it's it's not kind of like holding you by the hand but it's explained beautifully and <laughs> like I was tweeting this earlier I was like half the time I was rooting for him to win if I'm honest like I'll get into this later but I would have been perfectly happy if um if T'Challa had just gone over the waterfall and never been seen again and then actually like Killmonger had developed into Black Panther and become good over time um I'm sure I'll get slapped down for that narrative, but like I don't know. I just I just think it's so nuanced. And Ryan Coogler and him have that relationship already because they work together on Fruitvale Station and Creed. And I think I mean I don't know if he's the MVP of this film because I think there are so many to be honest. Um, so so it doesn't really make sense to use that terminology. But I I don't know. It, Michael B. Jordan is amazing, but we'll get get to him later on. Um, do you think Ryan did a, a good job with this film? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it continues that streak of they know how to pick the right directors for it. It's, it's almost like when they, it's Kevin Feige, this is what they do. They pretty much know where the story wants to go, and then they, they pick the directors with the sensibility they want to go for it. So 
nine times out of ten, especially with phase three, they picked the exact director with the exact sensibility for what the story wants to go. So they knew that they wanted to go from a black perspective. And Ryan Coogler, and they saw what, and, and, and with Creed and with Fruitvale Station, he understands that African American experience in a popular stream. There's there's so many independent artists out there that do it just as well. Ryan Coogler, so let's not just do that out there. There's so many people that are on his level, but they just haven't got that break yet, or they didn't have get that exposure from the industry. But there's many people like him. But he's the one that's been recent that's been coming up a little bit more. And the fact that he's only 31 when he shot this movie. He only he did three movies like that, and only thirty one. That tells you something about a guy like that—that that he can be so disciplined and so under, understanding about human nature to kind of go that route. But for him, it's basically like with this movie. I feel like because it's not my—it's not my favorite. It's, not, it's my top five. I would put it at it maybe ties number three, four, five. But it's in the avenue for me. But um, I will say this as a, as 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 African American, like he clearly understands how to work with these. With these corporations and still get that voice out there without any compromise in a sense because there's a lot of things especially with killmonger there's a lot of there's a lot of things with killmonger that's going on that black people feel every day but you can't say that in public because you got to hear both sides or or everybody's gotta be fair but there are feelings that killmonger has that it's very specifically black american that they understand and that, that disconnect with african nations and it's funny because I give you an aside. It's like there was a there was a girl I was with who was African, and and it, and it kind of goes this way where it's like that separation of black people in America and the black people everywhere else. Where she was even buying into this American bullshit or the or or the, or the thing where it's like black people are lazy, blah blah this and that. They made their own fate. And this is a girl who came from Africa, and that's the information that they gave us. So when you see Killmonger coming into the situation, he's angry. He was like, okay, so where were you guys at? You guys want to shit on us and say that we're like this? Going like I mean, we're, we'll go into more detail where it's like where. Killmonger's dad is looking at T'Challa's dad and he's saying, we got to help these people out. And you're sitting there not doing nothing. You're judging these people for the situation they're in. How can you do that? You know what I'm trying to say? And it's that anger. It's that, it's that, it's that palpable anger that I think a lot of people, especially black Americans, are going to respond to with Killmonger because we feel that every day. And, but you can't express that because everybody's telling you that you got to get over it, move on, stop whining, there's opportunities, blah, blah, yada, yada, yada. And everybody ignores that. And then you look at what's going on right now in our culture, especially with Western civilization, and you see that the disenfranchised are right the whole time, and everybody else is buying into this bullshit. And this whole entire thing with Wakanda, Wakanda isn't as noble as they want to seem. And it's kind of interesting because I don't want to go back to Thor Ragnarok. It's interesting that Thor Ragnarok came out before this, because you're dealing with two nations and for different reasons. One is more isolationist, and one is more colonialist. And you got fathers who did so much damage in the world that their sons have to clean up the mess. And I find that very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'll get more to that later. But there's, there's, there's a reason. And here's the thing. I mean, we're doing Black Panther, but hopefully when we, if this podcast lasts enough to get to Avengers 4, I can really go into like why certain movies are following after certain movies because they fo- they're following a logical pro- progression, but people aren't seeing them yet. And there's a reason why each movie is following something because there are themes that the last movie's built on that the other one set up and, they're, and it's like a domino. And then it's going to end in 2019 in the summer and it's going to wrap up the big giant 22 movie saga but sticking with black panther it's like you're comparing and contrasting because there's a line that thor says there are things that repeat in, in different movies there's a line that thor says in um the second thor movie that t'challa's dad repeats and thor tells odin he's like i can't sit on the throne because i'd rather be a good man than a good king and then that's the same thing that um t'challa's dad says to him later like earlier in the movie where it's like as like being a good man and a good king are two separate things 
And T'Challa, and then later on in the movie, T'Challa can't do that, pretty much. He struggles with that, and he comes to terms with that, like, I'm not going to be like you. I can't follow your philosophy. I have to go beyond that. But there's more things about that we'll get to later with that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the Thor thing is a great shout because I, even I saw kind of, whilst I was watching it, there were little touch points here and there. You know, for example, you've got the the dead father and then you kind of go into this ghost realm or whatever it is or blah, blah, blah. And, and then they're interacting with one another. That happens in Thor and Black Panther. And, you know, like you said, with Anthony Hopkins in Thor, um, sorry, Odin, uh, he, you know, he's clearly in Ragnarok, he finally kind of start, Kate Blanchett comes along and is like, look, how do you think we got all this shit? Yeah. And in Black Panther, it's not, that's a slightly different thing, but it's more about why haven't you helped people? You know, like Killmonger comes along. It's like, look, why haven't you helped people? When, when, when these white people were, you know, rounding up slaves in Africa yeah, and shipping them off together, you know, where were you? And it's so true. You just think about that afterwards, like, and then you're like, okay, this is fictional. <laughs> you just get kind of carried away because I think it's so convincing. You're like, you really start to believe Wakanda exists. And it's just like, uh, you know, it's like that avatar thing where people are getting depressed that avatar didn't exist and that, that world didn't exist. I'm sure I reckon there'll be a lot of people just be like man I really wish Wakanda existed kind of thing you know um okay I do want I do want to say something about that though because there's that palpable anger where it goes when you talk about the middle passage and, and how the slaves got sent off from Africa to whatever to um to America and there is that anger that that we that black people and Africans still haven't and African Americans still haven't dealt with in a way where it's like some of you guys sold your own people off to these guys and shipped them off you didn't help us to go against those guys you were complicit and letting us go over there. So there's still that kind of thing. And then going back to the Killmonger thing, and it's like going back to what that I was telling you about that girl. It's like, so we get shipped off to this spot, and you see that we get every part of our identity is stripping away, and yet you still judge us for the circumstances that we're in. We have no identity. We're trying to build ourselves. Killmonger's whole entire movie, he's trying to find some kind of purpose. It's so empty. And the only thing that he pulls from is that American... He, he, he actually... Even though he has his own agenda, he is taking on that imperialistic American thing, which kind of like what we kind of take on in, in, in like in like in like like in areas where there's a lot of black people and it's like low income and stuff like that. We do start destroying each other. And what 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 does what does Killmonger do when he first comes when when he, when he literally comes to um, Wakanda? He starts destroying everything. He wants to destroy and he wants to hurt everybody. And it's like you and you get that from that American that that trap. Because remember how Killmonger said at the end, he's like. How, how the slaves rather die on a boat to be trapped in a prison. Yeah. And it's like, that's the thing. Like, a black people, for the most part, especially in these low-income areas, th- that is a prison. And people don't see that. It's, it's disguised as something else. But it's literally a prison that you can't get out of. And you understand. And it's just all this anger. And everybody's an enemy to you. And you and then you're, everybody's so much of an enemy to you that even when people are trying to help you, you're not going to understand that at that point because everybody's an enemy to you. So you know what? Fuck you. If you, you weren't there for me, so fuck you. That's it. I'll do it that way. And that's where that anger comes from. And it's a lot of that stuff going on right there. I think a lot of teenagers, especially black teenagers, are going to respond to that guy. I guarantee you. When I, when when all is said and done after this weekend. Yeah, but I, I think the Killmonger thing, that what's fascinating about him is that he's playing them as well. Because, yes, there is that. I think his motivation is pretty clear because he literally ran up to his flat and saw his dad dead on the floor. And he knew that those guys had gone off in their hover ship and shit. Yeah, so he knew that, that, must have, that they must have killed him. So... And and then that's that's informed his whole upbringing after that. You know, if you if you walk in and find your dad dead, and and then you're basically on your own, um, you know, effectively. And then and then he he becomes fixated with revenge, or or you know, revenge, and also trying to, 
you know, right the wrongs of what Wakanda have done in the first place by just that complete passivity. So I think that is his motivation. And then when he goes to Wakanda and starts fucking shit up, that is, you know, what? it was so funny. I was literally like, this is what they do. This is what they do. This is what the army does. Yeah, they go in and they destabilize things. And I was literally thinking, it. I was like, they go in when there's like an election or a death of a monarch. And then fucking Martin Freeman said it. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. That was one of those moments when you're sitting there and thinking one thing and then it's vocalized so perfectly. And and that's what he was doing. He he wasn't just randomly going in and fucking shit up. He was doing it specifically. He knew exactly what he was doing at almost every moment. You know, like he was just a bit unlucky the way he died, basically. <laughs> like, but then, but then, yeah. But then you take it back to T'Challa and how he was when his dad died, and he goes to the point where it's like the anger just consumes you because T'Challa was about to hurt. Because those people, you you could say that Killmonger was going against the whole state of Wakanda, but were all those people involved in what that that T'Challa's dad did? That was T'Challa's dad that did that. And then we'll, and then then you have Kumar going there, gripping up other women that were trying to help him, talking about you do what I tell you or like you, I do what I tell you. you know what I'm saying like he starts going against everybody, not just the specific person. Because remember how Horace Wicker character Zuri goes up, he goes, "I'm the guy that's responsible for this. Like take me and do that." And then he dealt with the people responsible, and then he went off the edge. And if you look and if you look back how T'Challa was in Civil War, where it was like he wanted to go after Bucky, then he found out that Bucky wasn't the guy going there, and even T'Challa says, like, this vengeance thing will consume you because you're going to start hurting the people that shouldn't be hurt, and you're not directing your anger and it's being focused, so there is a compare and contrast with how T'Challa dealt with revenge and how Killmonger dealt with revenge, even though they were two different things, but there still is a comparison to be said about how the two of them dealt with the death of their father. And and this is the beautiful thing, I think we're both right, basically, and that's how nuanced the performance is, and that's how nuanced the character is of Killmonger. I think you're completely right, and I think I'm completely right, and it just depends on your point of view, basically. Like, well, I, when I've watched it, that I've watched it twice now, and I, I'm convinced that I'm completely right. He's really, really well-skilled, and he's, you know, completely well-trained, and he knows exactly what he's doing. But then you could also be completely right. I think it's so rare that you get a villain like Killmonger who, who, you know, like I said before, at times I am rooting for, and I'm not even black. And if I was a young black kid, I, I would probably identify with Killmonger a hundred times more than I would with T'Challa. Because T'Challa is very kind of staid and very... And, and here's the thing. T'Challa has this role to play. He's very righteous. Yeah, because he has to be. He's been bred to be a king. And that's the thing. He's a king. He's a monarch. So, so this is what I was thinking. And you guys wouldn't get this in America as much, yeah, because we have a monarchy in this country. And, and there are a lot of people who are very anti-monarchy in this country. And when I was young, I was like, why? Come on, just chill, blah, blah, blah. But then the older I get, I'm kind of like, well, actually, yeah, it is that privilege and it's like handed down. You know, you've got this birthright. And why? Why should you have a birthright? And then to counter myself, Killmonger actually has that royal blood in him so he's allowed to make that challenge legitimately but then he wants to fuck it all up you know like he goes and burns all the heart-shaped flowers and shit and uh, he's doing that for a reason though he's doing it specifically um because he he's destabilizing wakanda and it works you know like okay i, I agree that kind of third act where you've got the typical kind of marvel war where everyone's kind of civil warring with each other and shit even though like 24 hours earlier they were fine um it's a little bit contrived, but that's the direct result of what Killmonger is doing. He's taken like, you know, what's the character's name? Wakabi. Yeah, Wakabi. He's taken Wakabi and turned him very carefully because he killed off Andy Serkis and brought him like that. It's just this really clever sequence of events. And I think that was... The, the, the writing is actually very subtly 
genius in this film. And that's why I didn't appreciate the first time I watched it. The first time I was like, yeah, it's good, you know, but this, this, this. But actually, the, the more you watch it, and it was the same with Creed. The second time I watched Creed and really, really studied it, I was like, actually, this is really good. And and, and this is the same with um, with Black Panther. Um, let's, let's move on to, do you know what? Actually, before we jump into the next thing, which is Afrofuturism, what was the audience like when you watched it? They enjoyed it. I mean, they liked it pretty much. I mean, it was it was an average enjoyment. It wasn't like it was like a couple of claps, but people generally enjoyed it. And what was like the demographics of it? Um, it was about it, it was a it was about a healthy amount of of equal parts of white people, black people, and then other people. Okay. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't overwhelmingly one or the other. Yeah. Um. I mean, on Tuesday I watched it. It was a full house, which is really rare, actually, to be honest. Like, a, a, I mean, it's a Tuesday, you know. Um. But actually, in this country, you have something. Um. You have like an insurance company, and and if you go on a Tuesday or Wednesday, you get buy one get one free tickets. So I think they were really smart to put it out on Tuesday. So they they must have capitalized. They must have sold out everything Tuesday Wednesday. So it was full. I'd probably say it's about thirty percent black, and I live in a really white area. So um. You know, it, it was actually really impressive how many black people came out. There were a lot of people in traditional dress, which was great. Um, and, and actually, the, it was a really good atmosphere in the cinema, really good atmosphere. Um, apart from the guy next to me who kept eating popcorn in the quiet bits but wouldn't eat popcorn in the loud bits, and it just really pisses me off. Um, but otherwise, otherwise, it was a fantastic atmosphere, and people did clap, and people were cracking up at all the jokes and stuff like that. I saw it today again, and, and like the cinema was like probably 20% for hardly anyone was clapping or laughing or anything like that it was just like dead atmosphere but that was fine for me because I wanted to kind of analyze it more um okay Afrofuturism so what was the kind of vibe you got on Afrofuturism from Black Panther I mean it has, it, to be honest with you it has, it has something I haven't seen before because I read a lot of like sci-fi stuff so it's like it's like stuff that's not new to me but I can imagine it's going to be new to people who aren't really like well versed on that kind of stuff like that stuff's been done before in books but as far as in movies like it's never been done to that level with that kind of budget that realized so i think that's the more groundbreaking aspect that it's like it's never been done to that level in a movie with that budget with that kind of production by it by the possibly at this point it's arguably the most popular movie studio in the world most successful movie studio in the world to have that kind of back and that's a big deal so like nothing really surprised me but i can imagine people who haven't been like around it are going to be shocked by it or be amazed by it. It's almost like this is the only thing I would give with Avatar because I think like Wakanda's been there first, so it didn't give me Avatar vibe because I was used to Wakanda way before that. But I think it's like it's like that same thing with, with Avatar was like you're being introduced into this world and you're visiting visiting it. The only thing the only thing I would say about Avatar and this one is is that Avatar is like almost three hours long, so it does give you more time to be with the Navi. This one where Marvel's like they're 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 plotting and their pacing is tight. So it's not as much. Maybe so in the sequel, they'll they'll probably like like ease it up a little bit because they tend to do that in the sequels. They kind of like let 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 it breathe a little bit more. But I think like with the editing in this movie, it's like it was always on to the next one, so it didn't give you much time to really breathe on it. But what they did do with it, it's never been done on that scale on cinema with that kind of budget before. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm one of the ignorant people. I I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like. Like on TV or film that I can remember, like that's proper Afrofuturism, and I certainly haven't read anything. So, for me, I mean, like obviously I'm not black or anything like that, but um, uh, I, I'd never really seen anything like that. So I thought it was quite interesting the way that they did it because it wasn't just kind of like Blade Runner or, or 
like Star Wars Revenge of the Sith or something like that. This was, it was, there were real nice touches of grounding of, of Africa in there as well. Like when you go down to ground level and there's just like a, a, like a, a street market or something like that, or like, you know, the cooking chicken on a grill and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, that, that was nice. It was kind of like, and it wasn't CGI that part as well. It was just literally, you know, they must have actually just mocked it up properly. So, but you did have the CGI stuff. You had like the vibranium. You had um, like uh, Letitia Wright's character in that amazing kind of fortress of tech and stuff like that. So, uh, and all the electromagnetic trains and things like that. It was a really good blend, actually. It was really intelligently done. And even that first shock moment of when they're coming through, the, you know, they sort of go in, into the hologram through the spaceship thing and all that kind of stuff. It, it was, I think it was really well done. Um, and I can imagine audiences who haven't seen that before, like me, would have just been like, wow. And if you're a black kid as well, like, I just go, oh, wow, I can't imagine. You just must be thinking, this is just incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. I think it's brilliant. Um, alluding to that as well, like previous black superheroes, there's so many people have been so angry about things. Like, why are people It's so, annoying. Why it's are annoying. people so angry? Can you say yeah. why I can't? Go ahead, oh, go sorry, go ahead. No, go on. No, because my thing is, this is the downfall. This is where social media doesn't help. Because everybody's so eager to get their fucking hot tape on. They're, they're, they don't sit back and look at the big picture like the Blade. When I saw people complain about Blade and um and Black Panther, and people was like, well, Blade didn't get the credit it deserved. I'm like, are you kidding me? When Blade and Blade 2 came out, people gave much credit as it deserved. Matter of fact, Blade was the one that kind of like got the Marvel thing rebooted. Like Marvel was kind of like strangling itself between DC, because DC had Batman and had Superman. And then Marvel really had, they had these cheesy Captain America movies and cheesy Punisher movies. And then Blade came out, and Blade was like the first Marvel movie that was taken seriously. And then the second Blade movie was directed by Guillermo del Toro. And that was like the kind of like the one that kind of introduced him to the mainstream. And people was like, well, people didn't give Blade. And like, cause you guys, and this is where, this is where the MCU kind of like, it gets hurt in this era of people have short memories. Cause there's so many movies coming out every year, two or three every year. People te- seem to, are prisoners of the moment and they don't sit back and look at the bigger picture. So when they, so when they go on Twitter, they make this like generalized statement and then somebody tells them like the history and then people start going into it because everybody needs to be right. And I'm like, everybody just relax. A guy tweeted this morning. He was like, you can enjoy blade and you can enjoy this. And people are crying about the Falcon is trash and war machine is trash and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, there's enough room for everybody. Why are we making everything to a damn competition now? And it's so damn annoying to me. It's like it, it, it's like it's like everything with politics and this and that. It's like just relax, enjoy it, and have fun. You could debate, but everybody wants to get their hot take on. Everybody wants to get their think piece on without even thinking or even taking the time to consider their take. It's like everybody's got to be first. And like I was watching Twitter all last night, I was dying because I was just seeing this 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 war, and it was like African Americans versus Africans, and then it's like light skin versus dark skin. I'm like, dudes, I understand that you guys are frustrated about life, but this is a movie that's what inspire kids, but adults are along to go along for the ride. Just relax. Relax. Yeah, and as far as Blade goes, I mean, I have to say you're right. People have such short memories. I started university originally in September 1998. Blade came out August 21st, 1998. And I cannot tell you, all the black guys that I knew that year, who like any party we did, you know, we had to dress up, they would all come as Blade. Every single one of them. Blade was huge and we all watched it. And then when it came out on video or bootlegs, whatever, we would just sit there, we'd go out, 
come back, put it in a videotape in, watch Blade. That is literally the de- default night, how it would go. Yeah, Blade was not like some sort of tiny little thing that wasn't well received. Like it was really huge, you know, and Wesley Snipes was huge, you know. Yes. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ, him in Demolition Man is one of the best villains ever, you know. Uh, like you're talking about Michael B. Jordan as, as Killmonger, but I mean, wow, Wesley in Demolition Man. That guy was just incredible. I know a slightly different point, but um, yeah, you're right. Short memories. Um, I, I can't really remember too many else like of, of massive note. I know there was Hancock, but I, I didn't even bother watching that. I, I watched half of it and just stopped. To be honest, um, I, I, I mean, know. I mean, you had the comedic ones like Meteor Man and Blank Man. I think the thing that people are confusing is, is like, it's just that a big studio, like normally big studios, don't put that amount of money into a into a into a predominantly black or any or or any. Um, um, minority film. You know what I'm saying? Most of the time, minority film, whether it's black, whether it's Asian, whether it's Latino, they usually get like, 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 like decent budgets, but not like a top tier budget like this one does. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, you, that's why you have like Asian City and, and, and like Bollywood and stuff like that. It's like every culture. Uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing I'll, I'll say this is that especially, especially with Asian cinema, at least for me being an outsider, I know even though I'm like 8% Asian, but still whatever. I could look back and see that like India has its own film industry. Like yeah. China has its own film industry. Black people really don't have their own film industry. Mm-hmm. And even if they do, it's not at that scale that those places have. It's just not at like that. It's not like we can it's not like we can sustain ourselves as 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 a as a, as a, as a culture and continually put these movies out. We're always at the mercy of Hollywood and we gotta sell ourselves and blah blah blah, yada yada yada. Whereas in India or in China, it's like you guys have your culture intact. And it goes back, it goes, it almost goes back to the Killmonger thing. It's like you have your identity, so you know how to build on that. Black people technically don't have, we didn't build our identity off of scraps and what people told us. So it's kind of like, it's like that friction. And that's why there's so much arguing on Twitter because there's people that feel like, okay, a, a white guy's making, white people are making money off this Black Panther movie. There's some black people that feel some way about that. And I understand their feeling about that. But I also want to explain to them as a person who tried to get into the industry. I'm like, the fact that Ryan Cooler and those people got to make that movie is a miracle. If you if you don't understand, if people here's the thing people don't understand about Hollywood, that is a miracle in itself. And like I say, and I'm, and I'm sitting there telling people to suck Kevin Feige's dick, but you got to give credit where credit is due. When you're the biggest studio in the world and you're taking that risk because conventional wisdom, they always had conventional wisdom in Hollywood. Well, this won't work. And Wonder Woman proved them wrong. This, they're showing. And this is what the power, these are what the old school guys that think this way don't understand that the world is moving on. There's space for women movies like Wonder Woman. People want to see it. People can handle a woman being a superhero. They can handle people of color or people who aren't white being heroes. And it's proven a lot. The art, right now, it's like Black Panther is on track to make $200 million in four days in, a, in, in America. Like that's over, you're living in an age where Black Panther is more successful than Batman and Superman put together. <laughs> you're living you're that's what i'm trying to say they're not they're not seeing they're not and this is the and i want to tell people to relax and so is wonder woman right yes they're more popular than batman okay the three biggest superheroes are all the three the three biggest superheroes arguably are batman superman and spider-man i mean spider-man is always going spider-man easily toppled them it's a different story but when you have when you're when the two of the three are being surpassed by all these other people do these guys, these studio executives got to take notice. This is why you're losing. And this is where it goes to a big issue. These studios got to stop using white people's default. Nobody's anti-white. Nobody's anti-white. But if you want to keep things fresh, 
bringing other perspectives. That's why people, that's like going to your point where you reacted to um Wakanda. People want to see different things. That actually helps the community. That actually helps business. It keeps things fresh. If you keep seeing everything from that same perspective, it gets stale after a while. And that's why they're chasing all these lazy franchises and reboots. It's not working anymore. That's not working. The thing they're not learning from Marvel is, is that you have to take those risks. There, and that's, and you gotta be able to see different perspectives. Captain Marvel's gonna be huge. They don't understand it. Wonder Woman set it up. It's gonna be huge because of the fact that people wanna see more things right there. But getting back to what you're saying, getting back to what you're saying, I lost my train of thought. Let me see if I can pull it back because I just want, I want on a tangent. But yeah, basically it's pretty much like you bring these more, di- you bring more diverse stories and people and experiences to the main the big screen your 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 industry is going to thrive you're not going to get it by going back to the same old bullshit over and over again this is not the world we're living in and people need and, and people need to relax and start accepting that the world and that's the message of the story pretty much what that that he had the child had to learn is that the world's not going to be saved by everybody in their separate bubbles this is not going to happen that the genie's out the bottle and I know that the Western civilization is trying to trying to siphon itself off from the rest of the world, but it's not working anymore. It's to your benefit to work in concert with the rest of the world. And once you learn that and stop getting over these xenophobic fears, the better off everybody will be. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting because in the film, Daniel Kaluuya's character, Wakabi, even says that. He literally is like, look, you let in these immigrants and they bring their troubles. And it's just so funny because, you know, I, th- I think a lot of white people think that there isn't racism within, like, our own communities. Our own communities are the most racist people on earth about each other. Yeah, we're much yes. more racist about each other than white people are racist about us. Yeah, it's just a different kind of racism. Ours is much more kind of... Oh, Ours is horrible racism. It's just like, it's not in your face violent, that kind of thing as much, like depending on what, it's it's more kind of like this subcurrent of, oh, look how dark their skin is. Oh, look at this. Oh, they're so low caste. Oh, you know, oh, blah, blah, blah. All this kind of shit. Yeah. And and, and that is like, it's so that, just, you could, it's, it's worse that's for like us. thousands of years old racism. Yes. That's not like, oh, white man from last kind of couple of centuries. Right? This is like inbred racism that is very difficult to shake off, you know. It is like, so disappointing oh. for us because it, we're, it's worse for us because we should know better at this point. Yeah. We should yeah. fuck. White people, I, I, get, I get why they don't understand it because every, cause for the most part, everything's catered to their perspective. But I'm like, we should know better at this point. In 2018, we should know better about this bullshit. And we're still doing it. Come on now. And it's interesting, exactly what you were saying before about India and China. I mean, if you look at the differences, India, there's like 1.6 billion people there. Yeah. Plus, you've got Pakistan and Bangladesh just around the corner. So you've got this huge, huge market and you've got huge power. You've got an established Bollywood, um, you know, film industry, which has been churning out, you know, thou- literally thousands of films now for like, what, 70, 80 years or something like that. Um, and, and like technologically getting better. I mean, if you look at most of the Marvel films, if you stay for the end credits, because I always do now, um, just not just to see the, the sort of little thingy things, but to actually read people's names. You look at the CGI, it's fucking Indian people. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole section, it's just Indian people. And and so obviously Bollywood is going to capitalize that on that themselves. So they're starting to get better, all this kind of stuff. But the point is that we're not, we don't have that complex that, oh, we, we're, 
you know, we haven't, we've been deprived of seeing ourselves on screen. We see too much of ourselves on screen. That's the fucking problem. They need to, they need to <laughs> not make so many fucking films and actually make some better ones. Stop making 900 films a year. Yeah. Make, make like 300 and make them three times better. That's like the, the way forward, which is starting to slowly happen with a couple of kind of auteurs and stuff like that. Um, Brian Kugler, um, We've briefly touched on on the job that he's done. There are there are also other people to actually talk about here, not just Ryan Coogler, because obviously it's a collaborative effort. Um, it was produced by Kevin Feige's Disney, Marvel, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of writing, Joe Robert Cole, I was reading an interview with him about about Black Panther, and it was very interesting actually. So, you know, he he was kind of saying that when he was a kid, he used to take all the superheroes and rewrite them into black people. So you take like Batman and make them into black man and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, you know, I think he said this is just amazing for black children now because they've actually got someone they can hold on to and, and see on screen. Um, what what do you think about the, the writing job that Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole did? It's, it's excellent because of the fact that there's no, it's, it's like, you, you you sometimes you could tell when, when Hollywood has notes, and it goes back to what Dave Chappelle was talking about, how they always try, they try to trap people. Hollywood, Hollywood, sometimes they try to say they're progressive, but they're so backwards in so many ways because the people in charge have these misconceptions about how the other races are. So when I see the Black Panther and the writing right there, you can, you, you, there's really no stereotypes. They treat them like three-dimensional people. And not like this is this is the sassy person, or this is the guy like this, or this is the guy like that. Which I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with stereotypes if you if you're if, if you're doing a wink and a nudge with it, I that's okay. But when you're like basically like just doing it without any thought of anything, like for example, like 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 a uh, um what's her name, Denai Guerrero's character, it's like she has a, a spectrum of emotions. She could be serious. She could be playful. She could be sad. She's not just one thing for the whole entire movie. Like even with the T'Challa, even though Black Panther's character, even in the comic books, he is the stoic guy. Like he's the guy that's always one step ahead. Every once in a while, he shows emotion, but he that's that's his character to be that stoic guy. And and the, and the whole thing with Black Panther, even in comic books, the thing with Black Panther and the way and the way they did with the movie is the, the same thing they did with the comic books. Black Panther's character is a reflection of the people around him. You don't see him react to it because his reactions are the people how his people react. And then he takes the, all that in, and then he makes a choice. That's how T'Challa is. That's his character. That's that's always how he's going to be. He's that guy. Even within the Avengers, he's that guy. He's the guy that he's he's not he's he's not reactionary. He's proactive, but he's like the he's like the chess guy. He's like okay, let me take all the stuff in and do that thing. I'm an emotional guy, and every once in a while he opens up that emotion. But going back to the movie, it's like you learn his character through the other people, and then you see then you see him make the decision. He is the product of his nation. And that's how that story works. So when uh, it was funny because me and this girl were tweeting today, t- yesterday or yesterday or today, whatever, about it, where it's like Wakanda is the Black Panther and a Black Panther is Wakanda. It's not like he's Luke Skywalker because he does have Luke Skywalker is like is pretty much like the every person. The child is more distinctive because he's from because of Africa. Luke Skywalker is supposed to be the every person. But at the same time, it's, he's a reflection of everybody around him. And I think like, for example, like, like, like Shuri, like. She is, she is like Iron Man times ten, but she's not Iron Man. She's her own character. You know what I'm trying to say? Like she's not. She 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 could have easily been Iron Man 2.0. I'm the greatest adventure inventor of all time. Blah yada yada yada. But she had her own distinctive feel. And within the first minute of seeing her, you already knew their relationship, what it was. When she walked away with the middle finger and stuff like that, you already know within a few minutes. The thing that they do a good job with Ryan Coogler and them, they can make you understand a character's relationship within a couple of 
couple of sentences and then build on that as the movie goes along. Whereas some movies, sometimes it takes you a while to get to them, or sometimes a character will just stay static the whole entire movie and never deviate from that or never grow or never change. I think Ryan Coogler's greatest strength with all the movies that he do, whether it's like the whether it's like the um the supporting characters or the main character is, is that what you said early on, he takes the time out to and it's kind of like the same thing what the Russo's brothers do when they did like Winter Soldier and Civil War. They're they're directors that when they write a script or when they look at a script, they try to take every person's perspective and follow all the way through to the end of the movie. And then if something doesn't make sense or out of character, then they'll throw it out right there. And it's very rare in a, in a Ryan Coogler movie, even though there are three movies out there, but he's very distinctive at this point, to see a character make a false note. Especially in Creed. You know what I'm trying to say? He pulled something out of Sylvester Stallone that we haven't seen since the original Rocky. You know what I'm trying to say? So Yeah, yeah <clears throat> absolutely. Um, okay, so Ryan Coogler, I think he's done a great job. Do you think he'll come back for a second one? There's no... There, here's the thing. There's no question that he's not going to come back. He's going here's, here's, he's to do what James Gunn is doing with Guardians of the Galaxy. Th- Galaxy, Galaxy. He's going to make a Black Panther trilogy. I think right now, so just for, for, the, for the industry politics, he didn't sign on for a couple of movies. Same thing James Gunn didn't do. Same thing Penny Jenkins didn't do, which is a smart move because now he can name his price. And with the money this movie's going to make, Kevin Feige's going to have no problem giving him his 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 money. He's the new golden boy. Of how, he's going to be the new... If, if Black Panther makes the money I think it's going to make, he's going to be the golden boy like how Joss Whedon and how James Gunn and how the Russo brothers are. He's going to be that next golden boy. I, there's no doubt he's going to have a Black Panther trilogy. And arguably, I will say this... I, I will put this on this... I will put this on this... Um, this thing. Even though Black Panther's my fourth... or my, my third, fourth, or fifth favorite Marvel movie... If if they continue to go along this path, I think they're going to talk about this trilogy the way that um, people talk about the Dark Knight trilogy. And I will arguably say right now that Black Panther is a better first movie than Batman Begins was the first movie. And Batman Begins was an excellent movie. So the sky can only go up for it. I think the, the, thing, that, the thing that this movie has that Batman, the Batman trilogy didn't have is, is that there's a... There's, there's a love that em, that's emanating from this movie that you want to enjoy being around these characters, whereas the Dark Knight trilogy is kind of dark and dour. I mean, there's, there, there's levels of hope, don't get me wrong, but the, I think these characters are, are characters that people want to fall in love with. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And, that's, and that's what's going to make Black Panther stand out. This might argue because there's, there's been a debate whether it's the Captain America trilogy or the Dark Knight trilogy that's the, like the greater trilogy, if you want to make certain... If you want to go into it and make arguments and get deep with it. But I think with this movie... I think this first movie was better than Captain America's first movie, and I think this movie is better than the Batman Begins first movie. And those two weren't any slouches. But this is one of the best first runs of a movie I've seen as, as far as like ongoing franchise since the first Iron Man movie. Because Iron Man nailed it on every avenue. Robert Downey Jr., the, the, the voice, and everything like that. But I think this one arguably might be better. So, I mean, I have no doubt he's going to do a trilogy. And I have no doubt that Feige is not going to give him what he wants to get that movie done. Uh, I think I I think Iron Man did completely nail it actually and that was like this complete bolt from the blue because we were that was like in the midst of the whole Batman era and stuff like that. Um I think the the problem with this film I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit but basically like I mentioned before I think like Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa 
he has a he has a kind of difficult job here, but you know, I feel a bit sorry for him, especially after my first viewing, because he doesn't get that much spectacular stuff to do. You know, whereas I think Iron Man really did, and and a lot of these other guys do, and and you know, even Wonder Woman, I think she, not maybe not that much spectacular stuff, but she got a lot of like a lot of meat to sink her teeth into. Whereas I don't think he did. This is so much of a team effort where I feel like. Ryan Coogler's packed in all these characters and he's given he's given quite a lot of equal screen time. Like a lot of people have been saying um, Killmonger didn't get that much screen time. Um, and I, and actually, if you kind of look at it, I didn't time it, I didn't get a stopwatch out and shit, but Andy Serkis uh, as Claw, he got a lot of screen time and so did Killmonger. It's probably not that far off, like equal, you know, it's probably like about five minutes more for Killmonger and that's it. And the, and you've got two good villains there. Actually, like Claw is very deceptively brilliant in this film. Um, and then and then you've got all the other characters, you know, you've got the really strong women in his life. We might as well go into the cast now, to be honest, I'm practically talking about it. Okay, so you've got Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa. Um, so, so... I just think I think his his kind of role is a bit diluted because you've got Letitia Wright, you know, you've got Angela Bassett, and then you've got um, you know you've got Zuri, yeah, Forrest Whitaker, Zuri. You've got you've got so many characters just doing it basically, and and each one of them doesn't drop below a certain level. So there's only so much you can take as a viewer, and there's only so much story that that Chadwick got to actually play with. Plus, he has to play it in this really kind of statement like statementship like kind of thing, like. Mm-hmm. Like when I was watching it the second time today, it was almost Mandela-esque at times, like a young Mandela kind of thing, which is understandable because obviously he's the monarch of his country. Um, so, you know, he can't just like while out and shit like Michael B. Jordan did as Killmonger. You know, I think he he got like, he got a lot of rope to play with as Killmonger, whereas I don't think Bozeman did. How do you think he did as T'Challa? That's consistent with the, with the, with the, with the, um with the comic books, because you're never supposed to, because you're, Cause even the comic books, like even like the 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 main run it took from is like you know how the guy the Martin Freeman his character Everett Ross, like even in the comic book like you have it where it's Everett Ross kind of like telling you the story and you're somewhat removed from from um T'Challa because he's like this mythical figure and they always focus on the characters around him and it goes it, this act this is actually they're actually like they're actually like staying true to the book because. It's everybody around T'Challa that the built that that represents his character. It's like that's that's what I'm trying to that's what I'm trying to say, and that's a part of the source material. And I think because somebody else said that Mark Bernard said that that was an issue too, that the T'Challa's in the background. But that's kind of the point of Black Panther. It's 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 it's, it's the take a village mentality in a sense. It's like that thing where he sits back and he looks at everything, and every once in a while you see some kind of emotion stuff like that. And when he's ready to strike, because like there's a there's like a thing in the book where it's like you're like. Like everybody's getting a drop on T'Challa. Everybody's getting them because here's the thing with this one: he's probably gonna have a lot more to do in the next one because he's still like he's still he's because he's literally stepping into the king's role. Like he's been training. It's a difference between it's a difference between training for a king and then actually going through it. He's it's almost like a baptism by fire for him yeah. in this one. So you really so you really can't like by the stories by by the nature of the story, he's really not gonna be that that guy that's ahead of everything because he just got over his father's death and he's trying to navigate this. He's trying to navigate this. Um, this this political current and then he he finds out that his father wasn't the father that he thought was it's a lot for him to take in at that point in time and then the fact that and yet and yet at the end of the movie he takes and it's too and this is the truth to the child's character in the comic book he sits there and he just pays attention and then he just observes and then he acts and then he makes his act at the end of the movie which is that end credit scene that's that's pure t'challa 
It's like he takes every. That's why he's the most respected Avenger. Like even if even with the event, even within the Avengers, they always listen to him first because he's that guy. Because how, how the Avengers work is, they're always at each other's next. They're the dysfunctional family, and T'Challa's always a dude that's just looking there and just watching them and going, "Okay, all right." <laughs> And like, listen, guys. And then he'll break it down right there. Goes back to Civil War, where it's like, that's T'Challa's character again. And that was like the birth of T'Challa right there, where like, he was so angry about his father. And then he goes into it. And then he actually listens to what's happening. And then he sees um, the, the the bad guy in Civil War talking about how he was about. He sees everybody's how vengeance consumes everybody. It's like, you know what? It's not for me. And that's how he becomes a child. So that's why I think sometimes people can feel... I think that's going to push people away, and I don't blame him for that because that's his character. That's a fundamental part of T'Challa, where he's like that guy. Where people think that he's just a guy that's a like passive. He's not passive. It's more. It's more. He's more of an interior character than people are used to, even more so than Batman. Batman proactive because he goes out in the streets at night and does what he does. But what T'Challa does is like he'll sit there and he goes, "Why the fuck is all this shit going on?" And you'll re- you'll read like a couple of comic books like, "Why the fuck is T'Challa doing?" And then the next. If you see it, like, okay, he had all this shit set up, but then he's like, it's like a domino effect, and it's like, like that. He's like the chess player. And so you kind of see it in this movie in a way, but he's still not quite T'Challa all the way yet, because this is like his first real situation as a king. So I can imagine when they do the second movie, you're going to see that chess player T'Challa more. But he just, he's still kind of like learning that thing right there. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's an understandable argument. Now, if he does another movie and he doesn't do anything a little bit more proactive than this one, then I would see somebody having to, having more of a complaint at this point right there. But considering the plot of the movie and what he was involved in and the fact that he got his ass whooped by uh, Killmonger the first time out. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he did really get his ass whooped. I mean, but actually, whilst you were talking, I was thinking about his kind of action scenes. because, And, and it's funny because I'm so glad I watched it a second time. He actually did a fair bit of action stuff in this. If you think the first, the first time you see him, basically, is he's jumping out of the, the plane or whatever the fuck it is, this hover plane thing. And, and like, he's going to, to help out on this mission in Nigeria. And so, and then he does kick a bit of ass, like not, not for much, but it's funny the way it's all set up. Don't freeze when you see her. Don't freeze when (laughs) he completely freezes. But you know, he starts off with that. You've got the scene in South Korea. I mean, that that with the the Kendrick and Vince Staples track banging away and stuff. I mean, that was pretty cool. Like, you know, in the actual nightclub and then the the car chase and stuff like that. That was pretty cool. And he kind of kicks ass there. Not, not, you know, in, in a sort of decent level. Then he has his fight with Killmonger. He has his fight with, um, the the what's it, what's his name Mbaku, and um, and then at the end he has this fight like the ultimate fight with Killmonger and succeeds. So you know he does have a good sort sort of solid five fights. Plus you've got the actual like big civil war bit where he's you know taking on rhinos and shit. And and you know he actually kind of does a deceptive matter. It's just that he doesn't get all these kind of witty lines. You know the typical Marvel thing where like you know the the action you literally got a bullet coming towards you and you grit it in your teeth and then you're like you know some funny hilarious line or whatever like ryan reynolds kind of thing because he's he so far any, removed he doesn't get yeah. any of that does he not really i, I can't he, remember like any kind of really witty moments that he has like massively so yeah because that's not his character and i think that's no. what i think that's throwing you off because marvel characters usually like that he's more like black widow black widow, but then even black widow has like a dry 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 sense of humor like but she's not a funny character either She's more like she, she's more like the mother. He's a king. He's a king, yeah. and that's the difference. You know, yeah. he's the king of like the the most 
advanced nation on earth so he has to be a bit more reserved like you know if anyone watches the crown on netflix which is you know obviously about the the queen of england you know she she, you don't see her whiling out of shit like she's the monarch she's the reigning monarch she has to succeed her father who dies at a very young age and, and that's the same sort of situation here even though she's kind of slightly been groomed for it uh, it's it's not to the kind of massive levels she was incredibly young when she took the throne and she is incredibly reserved she has to be she's the reigning monarch and and that's the same with um, with T'Challa so you know I, I can understand it it's just I think it's interesting to talk about it uh, more than anything I, I I find it more interesting to talk and think about it than I did watching him on screen I think that's the kind of the, the funny thing whereas I got a lot more pleasure from watching certain other characters on street on screen with like that immediate effect on me um okay should we should we get into Killmonger a bit more sure how do you think Michael B. Jordan did? To me, my he's my second favorite villain easily, without without question. Under underneath, for me, Ultron's my number one, but right underneath there because he's very similar to him in, in in a lot of ways. But um, but yeah, I think he's because my because even before getting to that, I just give you my my favorites. My favorite's Ultron. Then there's Killmonger. Then there's Loki. He I will say this with him and Loki. Loki had like many movies to develop, but. Just for one movie, he ran through the gamut as well as Loki didn't. And seriously, because Loki's the most developed, most developed because he had the most movies to develop. But Killmonger did what Loki did in, in, in like four or five movies in one movie. I'll say that. And then you have, of course, like Hela, and then you got like like the Vulture and blah blah blah. But um, but yeah, I would say he's the most he's he's whereas Ultron is more of a commentary over the entire like cause cause Ultron's commentary is more meta about like superhero stories stuff like that he's a commentary on like the entire like marvel universe killmonger is very specific towards the black experience and i think that's and that's where i think people are going to connect with killmonger more that's the advantage that killmonger has over ultron ultron is like a commentary on superhero stories and how the limitations of like that and that's 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 where his complexity comes from but killmonger is very specific to a certain person at a certain point in time and he's willing to pull more people in because it's very specific and you sympathize with him on a human level Whereas Ultron is more of a philosophical grand scale kind of thing. Killmonger is more of like that human thing. And I think he's the one that for a lot of people, if they don't understand the black experience and there's going to be discussions about Killmonger and there's going to be thoughtful think pieces, not bullshit think pieces about, (laughs) about, (laughs) about, keep keep dreaming on Russia. Yeah. (laughs) About, about Killmonger. I think he's going to be the, like I said, the Chala is go- over two or three movies is going to be talked about. I got him feeling like he's going to be more debated later on with the movies. But I think this one, Killmonger is going to be the, the, the point of discussion going out of this weekend. I guarantee that right now. And, and whether it's sensational people trying to act on it like Fox News, oh, they're trying to kill white people, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I, that shit's coming. Trump's going to tweet about Killmonger. There's going to be kids coming to school with Killmonger. There's going to, I'm telling you, I know in America there's going to be issues with Killmonger. I, I can see that right now. There's going to be a session debate. But he's the one that's going to be talked about. And I think arguably when these, um, when these 22 movies wrap up at the end of 2019, he's going to be one of the more bigger, he's going to be one of the standouts characters when it comes to the MCU right there. And just the fact that Michael G. B. Jordan is like, because it's cool because he's intelligent, but he doesn't, but he's street, but he's intelligent, and he plays both perfectly. You know what I'm saying? Like he's he's this he's this this brilliant military tactician. 
He went to all these Ivy League schools. He's smart like that, but he doesn't sacrifice his his. He doesn't code switch. If if people know what that means, like at least in the black community, code switching is like when you go to your job and you're around white people, then you talk like you're you, you're quote unquote civilized. When you're with your people, then you talk how you are. But Killmonger doesn't have to code switch to be who he is. Like he is who he is, regardless of whether his mind state is that. Like he's not ashamed of who he is. He's proud of what he is. And he's like, if you don't like that, then fuck you. And he, he'll walk into your place. He's like the bully that takes your lunch. And he's like, I'm righteous for that shit. He's the bully that will eat your lunch. And I, he'll tell you why he ate your lunch and why he deserves to eat your lunch. That's Killmonger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Killmonger. I love I just oh, brilliant. I, I can just I can just imagine like there's going to be posters of him. Uh, on so many halls walls basically like he's just going to become this hero basically like or like an anti-hero in a lot of ways that i don't think you know the actual black panther will be you know he's going to become like a proper cult hero i know it sounds silly saying for a billion dollar film or whatever it's going to rake in but like uh, that kind of cult villain i think um uh, I, if you actually kind of take it back because i'm really interested in the psychology of him and and I sort of mentioned it before, but if you think about the era that he grew up in, you know, the initial fla- flashback that you have at the beginning of the film where his father is there and then um, what's, what's T- T'Challa's dad's name? T'Chaka. So when they're having that to do in Oakland, yeah, and, and we'll have to come back to the whole LA thing because that's really central. You've got, you know, you, you've got principal actual people from there. Um, you, you've got the... Po- uh, public enemy posters on the wall you've got the tv i think it's like either rodney king or la riots i can't remember i think it's the la riots so, uh, like I, I couldn't see it properly but it's kind of 1992 it's that era of like this real kind of anger in the black community you've got oj simpson all that kind of stuff it, it was a real kind of brewing pot and it was interesting that it was positioned in exactly that year yeah it, it's it's obviously a strategic positioning of why it, this all happens there and that influences him because obviously he's he, his father's been murdered you know like he said like he found the, the blades from the panther thing and shit and, and i i think that that environment would have sent him in a particular direction where he feels really victimized by this whole thing and and then by his environment and having to grow up and fend for himself so that it kind of switches something in his brain and he's like right i'm gonna do this this is my end goal and i've got to do this 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 no matter how fucked up it is and he references it he's like look i've had to do so much shit yeah i've even had to kill people my own people on this continent you know and and he there's that there was that whole Afrocentricity thing of that era that was really predominant, and then it got completely lost in popular culture for a long, long time. You know, it's interesting because I, I was listening to a podcast. It's really weird, Android Central podcast. They were talking about this. They were talking about how there's still a lot of people are really upset that the original Art Viv got killed off. Yeah, and like light skinned Art Viv got brought in on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And that was around that era. And it's there's just all these kind of, I know it's completely random memory, but there's all these kind of things going in that are propelling him in a certain way. And and I love the psychology. I think I think Killmonger is the sort of thing that you can write think pieces on Killmonger. And it and it is legitimate almost any way you take it, yeah, as long as you're not a complete moron, basically. So I mean, how do you think like okay, we've discussed Michael B. Jordan, but how do you think Killmonger as a character was developed like from inception to completion because he is complete now. I doubt he's going to come back. I mean, like I said, going back to the comic books, like Killmonger's always been like that, and like they're they're actually following like this Christopher Priest run where King uh, um, Killmonger did take over um, 
um, Wakanda, but not to the not to the level that he did. Killmonger's thing in the comic book was pretty much like he just wanted to fuck up um, um, T'Challa. He was like he just thought he thought the whole thing was he thought the whole Wakanda thing was bullshit. He didn't want to do the whole take over the world thing. He just wanted to like like just embarrass the hell out of T'Challa. That was his only goal in life right there because he was like he just didn't buy into that. It was funny because even in a, it's funny because they don't take it to this level. But it reminds me of how um how T'Challa how uh, Killmonger in the books he's pretty much like he knew how to play the stock market. He was like that. He was to that level. Like he was, he he knew how to play the economy, stuff like that. But they never went to that point. I think it was like they kind of streamlined it down a little bit with him, with, with Killmonger in a sense, right there. So Killmonger has always been that dude where it's like he he's that guy where it's like he's from America, but he's also from Wakanda, and he has that split identity that kind of like it, it kind of like it kind of like causes a friction in him because he does want to belong to that area, but he can never really belong. So he's kind of like a man with no nation. Like he can't be, and, it, and it's like it's like it's like it's like it's that separation. It's that separation anxiety that African Americans go through. Like Killmonger is pretty much the African American um, psychology as a character, pretty much. Like he's he's commentary on that and how we feel about Africa to a certain extent. Like we 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 want to be a part of that place, but we can never really be a part of that place. And, and and going back to what I said about the girl, and I heard it many times with other Africans. Like, there's Africans right now talking about how um, black people are appropriate when they, people are dressing up for, in, in African garb for a uh, Black Panther. Like, they're appropriating that because um, they don't understand what this dress is like. That yet, there's a lot of rap that goes on in Africa, and it came from African Americans. I just find it, <laughs> you see, you yeah, see how yeah. you see it. it, it I, I, it's, it's very hard to explain to people. How how fucked up the black experience is, especially when it comes to African Americans. I can't be for Africans too much. I know they have their own fucked up stuff going on, but it's like I, I, it's funny because I had a, my friend is uh, Vietnamese, and I talked to him about it one day. And then one day we were driving the car, and he's like, "You know, Rashard." He's like, "When you actually think about it, like what happened to your people is fucked up. Like you, like when you, it's like when you really sit there and think about it. If you, he's like I lay, he's like I laid down, and I thought about it because I said something. Because I said to him, I was like." My last name's not my last name. You know that, right? And then he said that fucked him up. He's like, he's like, your last name is not your last name. I was like, it's not. It came from it came from somebody else. Scott, an African name. He's like, so it's like, it's like, and like he said that whole entire like his last name. His last name is Trin. He's like, you have your culture. We had to build our shit from scratch. Like everybody, even though every other minority race is, is persecuted to a certain extent. It's like, but you guys still have your, you guys still have your identity intact regardless even though shit is fucked up for you you still got that we don't have that and the shit we make up people take away we made jazz they take that shit away we made rock and roll that shit's taken away we made rap white people make more money off of rap than we do you know what i'm saying like so imagine that you know what i'm saying that's crazy to understand that it's like you can't wrap your head around that and i think killmonger is a way for people who don't understand what african Americans go through they kind of get like a taste of what that is because here at the end of the day you can watch a movie and then go home and be like, okay, I kind of got it. But black people got to go with that shit. Black people in America got to live with that shit every day. Every day. And then there's black people who um who don't think that way because they buy into the fact that these other people will accept them if they just don't act like that. It's like, it's black people fault that the shit is like this. It's black people like that. And I'm not trying to say that black people don't black people can't do shit and stuff like that. And, and we're, we're perpetual victims. I'm like, but you, if you look at the grand scheme of what went down and the Killmonger line... That he said he'd rather jump off of a... He's like, would, it, would his ancestors rather jump off a boat and die 
than go to be trapped in a prison. You rather fucking jump off a boat than go to America. That's telling you something. You rather die. That's how terrible America is. And people can't wrap their heads around that because, well, it's their problem that this blah 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 blah. And that's where Killmonger goes. And Killmonger's dad says to T'Chaka, he was like, how the fuck are you judging these people? How the fuck are you judging what they're doing? They're selling the shit and they're doing the shit. They got to fucking survive because nobody else is giving them a fucking opportunity. Nobody else is doing that. So how can you judge these people for what they are? And you sitting there in your other country and talking about we're great and blah, 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 blah. Goes back to what I said about the girl. The girl, she came to this country and she sees this shit and she still sides with what other people say about black people. Well, and then that, then that, then that creates this kind of anger at African people because now you're looking down on us. So fuck you. You know what I'm saying? Like so you, you, you don't even take the time to understand what we went through. And then the fact of the matter that you, some of you, some of our ancestors sold us off to these people and shuffled us off. So you had a hand in this shit. And then you want to sit there and look at us and say, "Why the fuck can't you do better?" Come on now. You know what I'm saying? But but I think I think the irony is is that no one can ever fully understand what the other person is going through because obviously, you know, people who've grown up and, and still live in Africa, yeah, and, and I've got an issue with that as well. Uh, Americans always lump Africa as this gigantic country. And, like... But I will say, before you say that, I will okay, say that, but, they, but then people also, but people also have a bad habit, just being American, people also have a bad habit of lumping all Americans as being one thing too. Yeah, that was, that was going to be my... I think America kind of feels within itself like a, a nation of states, right? Because the, it's huge. America is huge and you've got so many different regions and states and this and that. But the thing is, Africa is not like that. Africa is a continent full of 52 countries or whatever the fuck. I think it's like 51 or 52 countries. It, it's not... It, it's not a country. <laughs> like everyone has their own language, their own dialect, their own community, their own history. It's very, very different. Whereas in America, you will generally speak the same language, even if there's de- slight variations on it. Um, but, uh, and that, and that's coming from European perspective. That's not from African or American. So it, it's funny. And, and like my parents were born in Africa, like literally both my parents were born in Africa. And, and there's a whole fucked up history as well, because the grandparents, great grandparents went to Kenya. Yeah, and they were like the in between between the white people and the black people. So like that's like my history, which is fucked up, you know. <laughs> it's just, and then and then I was born in this car. I was born in the UK, and it's just like it's it's so crazy. And then if you're talking about the way that Africans view Americans and Americans view Africans, but no one can actually fully understand it. And that's what's really interesting about Killmonger because he's actually born in Wakanda, yeah, and then transported to no, he's not born in Wakanda. He's born in no. America, yeah. Yeah, he's born but, in America. But he is Wakandan, you know, his dad is, and he knows the language, and he's got the fucking bleep, bleep, bleep on his lip and stuff. And, and like, and then, so, you know, he, he does have that kind of, he has that history, and he has that blood in him as well that entitles him, as I was referencing before, to go and make a claim for the throne, all that kind of stuff. And it, I don't know, that, that's why I love Killmonger. I, th- I just think you could talk about Killmonger for a fucking day, pretty much, and just like, you know, you barely scratch the surface. I think that's what's brilliant about his character. Um, I, we're talking a lot about it. We should probably jump onto a few more, basically. Um, what did you think about uh, Nakia? Um, she, to, to me, she, like, she was great for what she was in that movie, but she's the one, that's, she's the one for the next one, pretty much, because she's just starting her journey with the fact of the matter of, her big thing was being more involved in the actual interpolitics of Wakanda, where she's more similar to um to uh Tachaka's brother, where she's she's out there and she's seeing what is going on. 
she's not as extreme as um as uh and even even Tataka's brother wasn't that extreme. He was just adapting to the environment that he was in. So he he was specifically from the American understanding, whereas Nakia was kind of like more of a worldly thing. She wasn't specifically just for America. Tataka's brother was more about America and specific issues with that one, whereas Nakia was more along the lines of like more globalist. Where there, whereas um, Tataka's brother was more like American and seeing what was going on there, that's fucked up. Where Nakia was kind of like, listen, there's a whole world out there you need to connect to, in that sense, right there. But then she 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 gets more involved in um the uh the whole like struggle inside Wakanda and the symbolism of her putting on the Dora Milaje like uniform and kind of have like a like a greater understanding. And where Tataka kind of meets her meets her halfway and go, okay, I get what you're I get what you're doing now. I want you to be more part of Wakanda as well, but just be an ambassador outside. So they kind of like they kind of came to understand it. it's another example of 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 the T'Challa kind of sitting back and looking at shit, and then formulating the final decision and then making and then executing it properly, kind of thing like that. So her thing is like it's going to be one of the things where if there is a trilogy, she's going to get more interesting as they go along. But I think this is just her first step in kind of balancing those two things out. I think it'll be very interesting to see her as an ambassador rather than a war dog. In um the next sequel, if it happens, yeah, and I think Lupita as an actress would be perfect for that ambassadorial role. Like she just has this kind of stately presence about her. You know, I'm I'm assuming like she'll become queen alongside T'Challa, and she's very like queenly. That's not really a word. She's very regnal. Um, I, I think she does a good job actually. I love that that Nigerian storyline. I'm assuming, like, I I was kind of like assuming that it's a whole Boko Haram thing where women are being kidnapped and enslaved and transported. Um, I know they don't explicitly say that, but that's like a real thing that's constantly happening. Um, so I I I do like that how that was inserted right at the beginning. Um, I I think she just did a good job and, and like she was used sparingly but intelligently and also you know you, you're saying about T'Challa's uh, not T'Challa's yeah T'Challa's uncle basically so um I, I think if you think he was like 30 what no 28 25 years ago or something she has the opportunity of like the world's a different place now from 25 years ago I know it's still fucked up but it's fucked up in a different way but there's a lot more knowledge out there and and so she's kind of doing this whole spy thing the war dog thing in in a different era where you know she can just go speak fluent korean and stuff like that and 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 like not look too much out of place and stuff i don't know it's difficult to explain but i just think she's got the benefit of like a of like a whole you know two and a half decades basically um okay next one is okoye so that's deny guerrera you know i'd never heard of deny guerrera but apparently she's in Walking Dead and stuff like that. So I've, I've never seen Walking Dead or I've only watched one episode of it. Um, were you aware of her as an actress? Oh, yeah. She's also a playwright. She, she Matter okay. of fact, she wrote a play and um, she almost won a Tony for it. And uh, Lupita Nyong'o was one of the actresses that were a part of her play. Oh, wow. So, she, so she's like, she's, yeah, she she does stuff. But I think just just now, I think Michonne was the one that kind of like got her on the, on, on the, um, on the, the world map. I mean, at least, at least over here, I don't know how it is around the rest of the world, but at least in America, because Walking Dead is like, it's like Walking Dead and Game of Thrones are the two biggest shows on here. Here, so so most people know who she is at this point right now, and she and you wouldn't have saw her if you saw two episodes. She came in maybe like the third or fourth season. So, so yeah, I'm well aware of her at this point right now, especially as a writer. She's a great writer, so there's that too. So she's she's like multifaceted, yeah. Yeah, so actually, it did win um, a Tony Award. Eclipsed, it's called the yeah. play that she wrote. Okay, um, 
Yeah, no, Walking Dead's pretty big here, but not like Game of Thrones level. But all I ever see is people complaining about Walking Dead on Twitter and Facebook. So I'm kind of like, that makes me want to watch it even less. So, um, Good but, man. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, I think she was brilliant. As I, I think Okoye is one of those ones that I think if you look on Twitter, a lot of women in particular have just latched onto her as a character and they just absolutely adore her. You know, she's so strong. She's like the best warrior in the country. She's She has a lot of brilliant lines. She hates wearing that weave, all this kind of stuff. There's a lot, a lot of really gift-worthy. Mo- I think she's the most gift-worthy, like, individual in this thing. Um, and, and I think she's... Again, like T'Challa doesn't get that much. And I think she gets a lot of great lines in this. She's like a lot more dynamic, you know. Um, Okay, Martin Freeman as... Now we get into like all the British actors just come in. And I'm going to make a point of this at the end because it's going to be quite controversial. Anyway, so Martin Freeman as Everett K. Ross. So he was already in like... um, Which one was he in? Avengers? Civil War. Civil War. Okay, Captain America. Um, But here he gets a lot of screen time, actually. I think... I think he does a great job. Martin Freeman's just such a good actor. Um, he is British, so obviously he's playing an American in this. Um, I, I think it, he was kind of like the whipping boy at certain points uh, where he, he kind of gets shut down and, you know, colonize. I think, is he the colonizer that they reference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, which brought the cinema to, you know, the cinema in fits of laughter at that line, actually. And, um, and then, like, he's just kind of like... Like you were saying, because I, I did read that as well about the comic books, that they're sort of filtered through a white guy's perspective. You know, it's not like that in this film, but it's kind of like you still get this thing where the, this whole thing is created by a couple of white guys and it's predominantly been for white guys for like the last 90 years or 80, 70 years, whatever the fuck it is. So y- y- I think if Black Panther had been a completely black cast, like with zero white input, then I think it would have been... I, I don't know. Obviously, you've got the Twitter trolls and stuff, but I think certain people might have found it a bit more difficult to identify with. I don't know. Am I, am I being... No, I mean, I, I, I think it would have been fine, but here's the thing. It's interesting because Eric K. Walsh was created by a, a, was a... was a black guy because the guy, Christopher Priest, the one that a lot of this stuff is... Because Stan Lee and them made him, and he's it, kind of popular, but Christopher Priest is the one writer that... The one that really pushed Black Panther forward as the the modern guy, and the thing with with Everett Ross was, is the reason why he wanted to have Everett Ross as the guy because he wanted to show how ridiculous white people see black people sometimes. Because because the way cause if you if you read the comic book with Everett Ross and there's a reason because because they went easy on him in the um in the movie, he and he he's in a because like in the um in the comic book he's like based off of Michael J. Fox in a way he's got like that that guy and he's always saying like this like borderline racist stuff I'm like. What the like is that how you think about black people? It's kind of, but you laugh at it because you know he's like he's like that ignorant dude as he goes along, like he winds up becoming an ambassador to uh Wakanda later on in the comic books. I don't know if they're gonna do that in the movie, but he kinda of does that stuff like that. But he's basically like that that guy who's like that white guy who just doesn't quite understand Africa. Like he makes these assumptions. He's almost like he's almost like a um you know he's like he's like Rosencrantz and Gilderstern in a way. <laughs> like he's like he's like that guy. He's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, make a commentary. Like, he say certain things. Like, okay, I, I get it right here. But in the movie, they kind of tone him down big time. Like, he still has, like, a thing where he gets embarrassed. But they go easy on him because he gets whipped. He's a whipping boy big time in the actual comic book. It's hilarious. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it does a good job. And I think it's a good kind of balancing point there. Because don't forget as well, we're still kind of new to the whole Wakanda thing. Obviously, you're not, but everyone else is. 
and and he's new so it's seeing it occasionally through his eyes of like the kind of wonder of it and the technological marvels and all this kind of stuff like when when he's talking to shuri about like the the electromagnetic trains and all this kind of stuff and it you know you do kind of forget sometimes once you get wrapped up in these things um i just think he does a pretty good job and and like he's kind of going i guess he's going to be like a portal to the rest of the avengers and stuff maybe i don't know um okay daniel daniel kalua as wakabi um i thought he did a decent job i don't think he was spectacular i don't think he was given that much rope to play with to be honest he's kind of a minor character which is fine he's the best friend you know the best friend is always the thing right um but i think what's really interesting about his character is how he gets turned pretty quickly you know he he's annoyed at t'challa for not killing andy circus and and then you know michael b jordan brings along andy circus in a body bag and says look here's a gift yeah and and daniel kalua gets his head turned massively and you see him like especially the second time you watch it you see him just sort of these glances he he does these good little glances that's where he's good as an actor he's so great with his eyes and hello huh? sorry uh-huh. it just yeah. yeah sorry my thing cut out a bit um he's so great with his eyes and i think that that's where he's sort of exceptional as an actor these kind of little looks here and there and stuff um and how he gets turned onto uh killmonger's side and he ends up you know almost coming to blows with his his one true love and uh, i think that was the, the kind of interesting thing but i don't think there's too much more to kind of explore unless you think differently no i mean he's pretty much a foil to both okoye and um and t'challa it's like i said sometimes like I, I, sometimes when I see on Twitter they complain about supporting characters. Sometimes it's okay to just be a supporting character. Everybody's not going to get their 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 full thing. That's why they're supporting characters. But the key to a, the key to a great supporting character is is like what an actor does with the time they have. And he he did pull out because his own motivation was he was getting sick of T'Chaka's all talk no action bullshit. And like we waiting for a long time for this, and you can't do that. And then the moment he sees somebody about all talk, he's about that life now. It's like not everybody's, that only shows you like even people who get along with each other, they're not necessarily going to be 100% on the same page when it comes to a kingdom. Like you could be on the same side, you have variations, and sometimes you have somebody where it's like that variation is appealing to you, even though you're like kind of with this guy, this guy's a little bit more where you want to go with that kind of shit. And then I go that route. It's almost like, it's almost similar to like how, um, how, um, what's his name? Um, I forgot his name in Thor Ragnarok. Um, he was in Lord of the Rings. I forget his name. Um, he was the one with the assault rifles, but he was a hella side. Whereas like he was more like along the lines of like he was as guardian and he was kind of down with it. But the moment he saw another opportunity to, to prove himself or go along the line, he jumps on that kind of like quickly. But that's kind of like not really who you are, but it's who you are. And it kind of took his it's I kind of took a Koye standing in front of the rhino to kind of go, you know what? I need to calm the fuck down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's a little bit too much. Because you can get caught up in a passion, especially if somebody gives you something that somebody kills your father. It's, the, it's that revenge thing again, because he can't, because with him, he can't, he thinks that um, um, T'Challa can't understand about the father, because he, feel, he feels like, at least with T'Challa, T'Challa's dad's murderer been brought to justice. His dad's murderer didn't get brought to justice. So he's like, how can you, it's like, it's, it's selfish of you, T'Challa, to expect me to sit there and wait for this when you got your justice. Where's my justice? And that's where his anger comes from, a little bit. Yeah, and he does have some zinging lines as well, like I was mentioning before about, you know, he was saying, look, if you let the immigrants in, they'll bring their troubles with them and stuff. And, and you know, we kind of alluded to that before. Um, 
I also think the other thing is, is this time last year he was in Get Out, which was literally like one of the top two films on most year-end lists and stuff of 2017. And and here he was kind of like, he had quite a minor role, really. But you're right, he was a supporting character. It's his job to support, and, and he did it. Um, I think slightly above supporting character kind of levels is Letitia Wright as Shuri. So we just saw her and talked about her in uh, Black Mirror. She was in the final episode of season four, Black Mirror, which was called Black Museum. She was the star of that one. Um, how do you think she did as Shuri? I think she's going to be many black girls' favorite character. She's going to, and 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 I also feel like she's going to be one of the standout characters in Marvel going forward. I know here's because here's the thing because I know the moment she meets Tony Stark, that's going to be a classic moment right there, instantly right there. And I can already see, I can already see Robert Downey Jr. playing with her. And how their two different personalities come out, and each of them going to one up each other with their technology, and then she's going to just pretty much like she's so far ahead of Tony Stark that's going to be ridiculous, and he's going to be dumbfounded. So I'm waiting for that stuff right there. But getting back to this movie, it's just basically it's like she's the one character that pulls out that playful side of of, of um, I mean uh um, what's her name? Nakia does it a little bit, but she's the one that pulls out that playful nature of um of, of the child more than anybody else in that movie. The glimpses of the child of the playful thing where he's like doing that kick against the uh. The, uh, the new suit and then she like tapes it and stuff like that and like what are those and all that kind of stuff like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah she pulls that out and I and, 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 and the one strength of the MCU is is like if you put any three MCU characters in a room something interesting is going to happen so you you just literally see her playing around with anybody I can only imagine her and it's funny because I think what they're trying to do is they're bringing in a young generation because Feige's seeing like Okay, now it's trying to bring in more young people into the MCU. You've seen all these adults and with Peter Peter Parker and his high school kids and her and them like that. So they're slowly starting to bring in the young kids. And I think once they get and then once finally the X Men get brought in their popular proper, you're gonna see more kids get involved right there. So I think they bring like she even though she's twenty five and she's playing a teenager, she brings that fresh energy that you need to these movies because everybody's an adult and they're dealing with certain shit. But it's like she just brings that energy and she has that she has that naivety Peter Parker has. Because I think you need that. Because most of the Marvel heroes are kind of, even though they're they're humorous and stuff like that, there's still a world weariness to them because they they have some kind of dysfunctionality or something like that. But like, it's good to have a character like that that she has that like bright eyed optimism to kind of like, so this is what we're fighting for in a sense. Same thing with kind of Peter Parker is like, I want to do good, I want to help people, but they're slowly learning about how the world's more complicated than what it is because she's been trapped in this like not trapped, but she's been in this like quote unquote perfect utopia. And now she's starting to see these new things coming in. I mean, her dad's death was the first part of it, and then when her when her when her when her brother was supposedly dead, she started to feel that stuff, and like she's kind of going through that right now. So it'll be interesting to see how her bright-eyed, bushy-tailed stuff comes into the next couple of movies, especially the Avengers movies. It'll be interesting to see how she goes through that kind of thing. But I think she was like a standout, and I know little girls are gonna love her. There's gonna be so many Shuri. Matter of fact, on Twitter, there's gonna be so many girls being named. So many black girls gonna be named Shuri. Coming out of this movie, it's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I was actually going to make the same point about Spider Man because they're like she's supposed to be sixteen in this film, so um, that that's like I think how old Spider Man was in Homecoming, right? Um, yes. So you're right. I, I think they're going to align that generation, and it's going to be interesting. The other thing is, is you're completely right. She's living in this bubble and utopia and all this kind of stuff, and and okay, knows bits about the outside world, fine, whatever. The key to it was for me when she was driving that hologram car thing, and, and it was an actual car that that um, T'Challa was on top of. 
And then there's this bit where it goes boom, 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 like that. And she's like, what was that? And we know it's a body. Yeah? They've just run over some guy. But he was just like, don't worry. <laughs> you know. So he's still, he's still kind of, and like that was a real kind of key to the whole thing. She's still got that bright eyed, bushy tailed kind of thing. And and she, he's trying to protect her, like, don't worry. You know, it's, it's better than saying, uh, yeah, we just ran some over, some bad dude over. Yeah, let's chill. Um, so I think it's going to be fascinating. Like I, I was tweeting about it before. I was like, you know, if if T'Challa had died, I would be happy with her just taking the whole thing and moving forward, basically, and her being like the new Iron Man. You know, like, uh, we can get into it now, but like, I was sort of ragging on Doctor Strange a little bit before. You know, I watched Doctor Strange at the cinema and, and it's funny because as time passes now, like they've been like, what, probably another four Marvel films since then. Um, I, I just really didn't enjoy Doctor Strange. Like retrospectively, I, I just I just don't think it's that great a film or that enjoyable. And, and especially as like other ones are now coming out that are just putting it in its place. I know you really loved it and stuff and I, and I get that, but like... So someone like Shuri, you take her as a character and she's not even like the lead character, you know, and, and like, I just think she's so much more fascinating as like, because you always said Doctor Strange is going to be like the new Iron Man because like Tony Stark's going to step down and then Doctor Strange is going to kind of fill that void. But someone like her could really be the new Iron Man, you know, if if they wanted to make her um, because she's already got that kind of mix of tech and comedy. So, and, and a lot of people are saying the same thing. So I, obviously I don't know what's going to happen and stuff like that, but I just think it's interesting. There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack with her moving forward. And I, I think she could be huge basically. Um, and then there's, uh, if we just sort of rattle through the last kind of few, basically, then M'Baku, uh, who was played by Winston Duke. So he was, he was the leader of the mountain tribe, the Jabari. Um, how do you think he came across? I thought he was excellent. He's he's one of them characters where it, there's there's certain there's certain characters where I know because I because I know about the character. There's certain characters that get more prominent as they go on, and he's going to be one of those guys. Just the fact that he has that. It, it's funny because you you see him. It, it's like the nice twist because at the beginning of it, you see him as a serious dude. He's like serious, serious, serious. And then the moment where they all go to him for help. Then you like it's like it's like the, the one thing this movie does a good job like what every what every great Marvel character does is is that you always see that du- there's always that duality with them, and then once you see him in his own personal space, he's more playful. He starts fucking around with them, joking around with them, and stuff like that. But it still works because he still has that seriousness. It's like it's not because like it's it's kind of hard to to do that steer sometimes. Like Robert Downey Jr. is the best at it. He can he can do the serious and the jokey at the turn of at the top of at the turn of a dime. But I think Winston Duke was just as good at it because when he got jokey at that second half, he didn't lose that other seriousness at that point because it, it kind of fit in with Wakanda. Like even those guys in the back there, they still had that love for their people at the end of the day, that kind of thing right there. And that worked for it. And if you knew about M'Baku in the, in the books, like he plays a major role later on. So, but just for this one where he aligns himself with, with, um, with Black Panther, because there's always been contention with the Gorilla Clan and the Panther Clan. It's always been this thing, but when it comes down to it, especially when there's whenever 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 there's evaders that come to Wakanda, <laughs> Umbaki has no problem throwing down. He can throw just as well as as any as Okayu or or, or or T'Challa when it comes down to that. He has that heart. He has that heart right there. Yeah, I mean the the only thing I'd add to that um, is that there there are a lot of uh, Hindus where I live, and and I am one as well. And when he mentioned Hanuman, because Hanuman is the the monkey god in uh, in our mythology, uh, and like there are a lot of people who were like, oh, "What the fuck did he just say?" 
in the cinema, there were a lot of like, what the fuck did he just say? Because it was really weird. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I haven't even Googled it because I don't dare right now. I might just write a think piece on it just for a laugh. But, um, I, like, I, I know, like, there's sort of the, the gorilla thing and blah, blah, blah. But it was really weird. It was this really weird kind of like, I don't know why they mentioned Honeymoon. I reckon a lot of people would be slightly perturbed by it. I'm not quite, I'm not, not quite sure why they mentioned it. Like, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I mean that, that's more for the listeners, to be honest. Okay. Then you've got Angela Bassett as Ramonda, who's the, the queen mother to Charlotte's mother. Um, th- this was basically, I thought this was Angela Bassett being Angela Bassett. I, I, because she's just, such a strong personality. I don't think she really had to do too much else. I mean, how do you think she did? No, pretty much that's that. Because every when I seen the white hair they gave her, that's pretty much a Marvel apologizing for not making her storm. <laughs> because if there was any person that that should have played Storm, Angela Bassett was born to play Storm. Storm should because here's the thing: Storm should be one of the greatest characters in MC in Marvel history. She should have been. She should be up there with Iron Man. She should be up there with Spider Man. Easily, and Angela Bassett, that should have been her, and there should have been like fifteen storm movies out at that point right now. They did her to the surface, so basically that's kind of like them saying, you know what, we fucked up. We're giving you this. We you deserve this. But like I say, she's pretty much Angela Bassett. Pretty much when I saw that movie, that was Storm. That was Storm without the powers, pretty much, because Angela Bassett is Storm. Like when you see her interviews, when you watch her, if you if you're a Marvel fan, you've read Storm. That is Storm. Like when she when you see her interviews, that's Storm. When you see her in any, any movie, there's degrees of storm in there. And when I saw this movie, this is like this is storm as a mother, pretty much right there. So, so is is this like a proper thing? Like, was because I have no idea. Was she supposed to be storm and got chucked out or what? Uh, every or, it was like, like everybody. It was it was like everybody. In their, it was like everybody and their grandma. It, it's like okay, here's the thing. When X Men came out, everybody said Patrick Stewart should have been Professor X, and they got him. He was the anybody read the books when you saw they make an X Men movie, everybody said. Professor X is um, Patrick Stewart. And then the next person they said right after that was Storm is Angela Bassett. So everybody was calling for it. Everybody was calling for it. But I guess Angela, I think Holly Berry is more hot right at that point. So they went for Holly Berry. And that was like one of the greatest. And then no disrespect to Holly Berry. I love Holly Berry. But like that was basically like, that was like just one of the greatest missed opportunities in Marvel history right there. To have her a Storm. Like she had the regality. She had that thing where like, when you see Storm, like she, when you when she walks in the room, you just feel that that regalness. Like she don't have to say nothing. Like you just feel that. Like you feel that. Like she has her flaws, like every Marvel character, but she does have that 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 regal regalness. But she also has like that 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 anger, that that African anger about that that bullshit that her their people went through because she got she her family got raped over the coals, and she kind of that's why she kind of like relates to Magneto a little bit more. How Magneto's like against like humankind and stuff like that. So she kind of like flip flops between Magneto and Professor X. She has a little bit of both, but Angela Bassett could pull both of those off. When you see Wayne Exhale, you know she, she could pull off anger better than anybody else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she had that. So when so when so when you see her with that white hair on that rooftop, like that's a nod to like diehard Marvel fans. Like you know she should have been Storm. She should have been Storm. Kind of thing like that. Was she was she too dark skinned? No, it was just that it was just that Holly Bear was hotter at that time. If twenty twenty century Fox went for her. She was, was hot at that time, though, in more ways than one. Like, like she was yeah. stunning, and like she'd come off Monsters Ball and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm not the expert on this. Um, okay, Forrest Whitaker, another huge actor with like many a, an award to his name. He was Zuri. How do you think Zuri did? 
he was just basically Alec, Alec Guinness light. He was just there to kind of like, okay, who can you get? This is, a, this is a small role. Who can you get to get the point across right away? And Forrest Whitaker was that guy. Like the same, like kind of the same way he was in Rogue One, in a sense. Like, like he's just, he's just like, yeah, who can, who, yeah. Who can you, it's exactly who, the same, basically. <laughs> I was just thinking yeah. about it. I was like, who yeah, can you, literally yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Who can you get to express exposition and make it meaningful? We know Forrest Whitaker. Because in the comic books, Zuri has a much, much bigger role down there. But since you have movies and they can only do so many, so many things. Like Zuri's supposed to like have like this long term thing with T'Challa, but I guess in this movie they kind of shortened it up. So the movies can't be like the comic books; it's impossible. You have three hundred sixty five days a year, and you could do all the stuff with different stuff. It's just not feasible. But he's he's like he's more he's like Daniel Kaluuya. He's like he's basically there to be a foil for certain things, but he does his job well. Marvel has the ability to hire people just to get. Like, you know, I don't want to, they don't want to get a weak actor to kind of get this point across. Because if you have a weak actor just doing exposition, the exposition is tough as an actor. Because basically, you're just explaining to the, the audience and the main character what's going on. But you get, you, get, you get a great actor like him, you can kind of sell a little bit more what it was. So he's like a minor character, but he does what he does well. Yeah, um, I, I'd say it'd be easier to say he overacts a bit. But actually, if you think about the character that he's playing... It's kind of like this priest, and priests traditionally are very OTT, larger than life, and that's their kind of job. So I, I can give him a pass on that. I'm not enamored by the character, but whatever. Um, the last one I guess we should talk about is Andy Circus as Ulysses Claw. Um, oh, I love it. Love him as this. I think the character is brilliant. He even literally says, yeah, he literally says, oh, should we, let, let me give you my SoundCloud link to, <laughs> to my mixed. I mean, like the cinema went in hysterics at that point. Um, I, I think it's just brilliant. And and a little aside, like, not I don't don't want to give out too much information, but um, he's actually born where I live, so uh, it's really funny. And and where I watched the uh, the, the film, so um, that that's like a nice little aside. He's brilliant. He's done such a great run, Andy Circus, and and he's frequently behind the scenes as the kind of you know he's motion captured and all that kind of stuff but here he just gets to be him and and he's just fantastic i also think it's interesting that he plays a south african because i mean fuck like if you know anything about south african politics and like you know uh, like white and black and it, it's interesting because he, he just really doesn't care about anything he just cares about money and dealing uh, and and like he will go with whoever is there and and it's just funny how Killmonger is the one who offs him. And I think I think it's like I, I can I don't sympathize with the character at all, but I, I can sort of his sort of being removed from any kind of like he's just completely amoral basically. Like he just doesn't care. He doesn't want to be involved. He just wants to do what he does. And and like and obviously rap apparently as well. So um how do you think he came across? No, it's very similar to how the comic books were with Killmonger and uh, USS Claw. They're, they're Black Panther's two biggest. It's, it's crazy that I don't know what they're going to do for the sequel because they're both of them are Black Panther's two greatest enemies. I mean, there's more of them later on, but they pretty much killed his two greatest enemies in one movie, which I think that's pretty bold because you would assume that you would, you, would, you would have Killmonger going through certain movies, but I think that's pretty bold for Marvel to get rid of the two most recognizable Black Panther characters. But he sold, he sold me on Claw... And Age of Ultron with that whole blowfish story, <laughs> so he was he yeah. al- he al- he already he already like knocked it down. He just took it to the next level with this one. He was more giddier in this one because he was more in his element. Whereas in Age of Ultron, like he was kind of like just there, kind of like he was he 
like set up the, the vibranium situation. Like they were slowly building that up. So by the time you got that Black Panther, if you were following these things, you would understand this a little bit more. But um, but yeah, he was just plain fun right there. I was just shocked that he got killed in the half. I was like, damn, they killed Claw that fast. I'm shocked by that one. That doesn't that shows me that doesn't bode well for Affinity War. If they're killing if they're killing guys like that off right away, it's not boding well for a lot of people in that next movie. So I'm impressed by so, it. So okay, so here's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um Someone said that one of the problems with Marvel is that they are very reluctant to kill off any of the heroes. Or not any, but of most of the heroes. Not, or not most of the heroes. Do you know what I mean? They, they, just, they yeah. just don't want to kill any of the heroes, basically. And they're, they're happy to kill off the old villain here and there and stuff mm. like that. And like you said in this one, they just off both of them. Um, I, I would have been perfectly happy if they just killed off T'Challa yeah, when he went over that waterfall. But, okay, they didn't. What... The only thing that I would say to Ryan Coogler if I ever met him, which I probably never will, is that what I wish they'd done is explained how he came back from kind of that waterfall to ultimately coming and waltzing back into Wakanda. Because, okay, fine, we hear that the, we get this little clip of him on the back of a fish, fish, fisherman's like thingy cart or whatever like that and you see him in the ice and then they sprinkle the shit down him and the heart flake shower heart shaped thing and all that kind of stuff but what i really wanted was a rocky montage with that weekend song and kendrick and and then basically he's kind of working himself back up and stuff but the problem is they just pour that bit of magic down him and then he's fine again and I, I just think they undercooked that whole thing because also he buggers off for a long, long time. He actually, he's gone for like, he's probably gone for like 20, 25 minutes or something. So I, I don't know. I, I just think, I think that could have been, that that really would have brought a lot to it. And and like an extra sort of three minutes wouldn't have killed this film at all. Um, what what do you think? What do you think about the whole killing off heroes thing that, that Marvel, because obviously you'll know a lot more about that. Is this all basically just cu- accumulating as many heroes as they can for the Avengers Infinity War couple, that, and then then they'll start killing them off? Basically, I went to I went to the Civil War screening in New York where the Russo brothers were at, and they did a Q and A after that. We went up there, and then they asked and they asked people about that, and you know what he said? He was like, "When Thanos comes to Earth, he's gonna have a body count," and he was like, "How can there be a body count if there's no bodies?" It's literally that. Like he's like he's like he's like he's like he was like he's like because 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 here's the thing here's the thing people don't understand about the Marvel Secret Weapon. When you get to Infinity War, it's a two it's two movies. It's literally two movies. It's gonna be one this year and one next year. And it's like it's gonna take two movies to beat this guy. It's like literally he was like he was like these characters have to go on emotional journeys from from ten years. So by the time you get to this point, they, they all these characters have full arcs. So when so when people get when people get killed, it's gonna matter at this point. He was like, but he's like, you gotta look at the big picture because in comic books, you 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 can you can tell stories forever. You can tell stories forever, pretty much. But in in this situation, it's like when you get to that, when you look on that, if you look at that picture that they had on San, San Diego Comic Con, where it's like Thanos in the middle, you have his lieutenants, and you have all these massive characters. You have the Guardians, you have Spider Man, you have Black Panther, and like the big selling point is here's the thing. Here's the thing I want to tell people: the big selling point of Infinity War is not the plot, and this is what Joe Russo said on the um on the um on a podcast. He was like. Nobody's coming to Marvel for a plot. It's like you're coming to see these characters. It's like, like the the plot comes. Like Age of Ultron made this commentary. The plot is always going to be the good guys got to stop the bad guys. It's like you're always going to see that. It's like James Bond. James Bond is the same thing every time. Die Hard, stuff like that. He was like, and and, and this is Kevin. This is Kevin Feige's edict. He was like, if you can get the people to get care about your heroes, they will always come back to see them more and more. 
and he proved that every time. It's like, so when you see this movie, the biggest selling point of Infinity War is not going to be these people living or dying. It's going to be these characters interacting with these characters. When you see Shuri interact with Tony Stark, when you see Rocket Raccoon interact with Tony Stark, when you see Star-Lord interacting with Captain America, all these characters going on, that's what's going to make you love them. So then when Thanos starts killing people, it's, people are going to feel that shit. I don't think people are ready for that at this point right now. I think people are like, because you're so used to Marvel right now, and you're so used to people surviving to the next movie, this and that. And 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 what I if and if you know what I know about Thanos, he does not fuck around. He's not. So 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 sort of sort of so you guys that don't know about Thanos, you have no clue what he is and what his motive motivation really is. His motivation's already been set up in certain movies. I'm not going to tell you about. But when you see what he's going for and why he's going for it, you're gonna be like, holy shit. But you guys don't know that shit yet. But going back to what I'm saying, so what Joe, what Joe Russo was saying at the meeting right there is pretty much like. You, you want to have these characters go on a journey. So then by the time you get to the end of it, because at the end of Avengers 4, they're going off in a whole new direction. The whole universe is never going to be the same. And certain characters never see again. So by the time you get to Avengers 4 next year, around May, you'll have this 22-story arc with that kind of thing like that. And it's not about death. It's about... Marvel's always been about these characters growing and, and growing from their things and becoming more and more human and more and more... It's the, somebody said it one time, the Marvel, the Marvel heroes are the greatest dysfunction, one of the greatest dysfunctional families of all time. And Civil War is basically like a dysfunction. That was like one of their biggest fights they ever had. Because in comic books, like, and they always go, and they, I want to say this about this. They always go back to the villain problem that people talk about with Marvel. Marvel's never, ever been concerned about the villains, really. The villains were always there. And, and I think Age of Ultron and even Civil War kind of said it. The, the plot twist of the Marvel characters is they're so powerful, nobody can stop them except themselves or each other. And that was always the biggest thing. Their community was more of a danger to themselves than any outside villain could ever do. And more often than not, the Marvel villain, the Marvel super, the Marvel heroes create their own villains. Spider-Man, most of the time, creates his own villains. Or like like in like in um in Homecoming, Tony Stark, by doing what he did, he created the Vulture. Or the Avengers created Zemo. Or Tony Stark created Ultron. They're always doing that over and over again. And Odin created Hela, kind of thing like that. So it's kind of like that thing going on. So um, I think that's the thing with the death thing. And I think sometimes people don't understand what the bigger picture is. And they don't understand what's going to happen when Thanos comes in. And when that's how it's going to affect certain things. Because I already have an idea what they're going to do. But I'm not going to ruin it on here. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't like that. Um, okay. Um, yeah, there's, there's not too much else. We've covered most of the film, basically, but there are other elements to it. So did you check out the um, the Black Panther album? So not the soundtrack, like not the actual score, rather, but the actual soundtrack. Yeah, I got both of them, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, what did you think of the uh, the Kendrick Lamar helmed soundtrack? I like the fact that he, he does two things with the album. It's, it's, he, he, he can't not do a concept album to save his life. So <laughs> the, 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 the two things I enjoy is is that... When he, whenever he's on a track, whether it's small or big, he's always doing it from either T'Challa's or Kim, Killmonger's perspective. Yeah. And then he lets the other artist do a different type of perspective of the black experience. And then he ties it all together because it opens with Black Panther and it ends with Pray For Me. And it kind of goes through there. And I like the fact that um, he, has, he has a song, literally it's like Killmonger's song. It's like one of the songs is basically from the Bay Area, which is going back to Oakland. So it's kind of like he, it, 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 it kind of like he goes back and forth, and then there's certain songs that are more African in nature, and there's more songs that's more African American in nature, and it kind of like flows through in and out, kind of thing. 
Yeah, I love it. I absolutely I've I've not listened to anything else for the past week basically because it came out exactly a week ago. I, I must have listened to it I don't know, maybe fifteen times or something like that. And there's basically only two tracks that I'm not particularly feeling, which are Paramedic, which is decent, and um Big Shot, which is decent. Uh, probably less than decent. The rest of them are just phenomenal. I love it. I, I, you've got like a couple of big singles there. You've got some incredible tracks by like the Georgia Smith one. I am is amazing. And then Vince Staples ops, which is used in the film. Um, I, I, I actually quite like all the stars with scissor. Um, and there's just so much uh, the way that I frame it is basically I'm going to see Kendrick in a few days time in London. And, um, and like it's funny because my my wife where she works like there, there are sort of like she's not old or anything but there are obviously the younger people working there and then one of them went to see Kendrick and then ever since I've been talking about Kendrick a lot for the past few months she's like oh I I you know I think I might like Kendrick I think I so I'm like yeah all right and uh, so I said okay try Damn because that's the most palatable one like we've discussed we've done a whole podcast about Kendrick and stuff and um, and then I said look. This is much more palatable. Listen to the Black Panther soundtrack. It's much more balanced. You've got tracks by females. You've got different vibes, all this kind of stuff. And so she listened to it. She loves it. She just, she's like, yeah, like, damn is really good, but this is just like much more me. So I think this is just, I think he just nailed it pretty much. Like there's a, I'd say it's just a couple of tracks too long and that's it. Otherwise I think it's practically perfect. Um, and the the other thing I say is Kendrick is probably the least effective thing on it. I think he takes and like that's by design. I think he takes a bit of a back seat on it to be honest, and just lets other people shine, kind of like T'Challa. So uh, you know, like you're saying, like he's he's rapping from T'Challa or Killmonger's perspective, and then you've got other bits. I think I just think it's phenomenal. Uh, and like it's funny, Pitchfork were a bit weird in their reviews, and some of the other people. I think they just listened to it once and then just knocked out their review and stuff, but. Actually, the more you listen to it, the better it gets. And I'm telling you, this is fantastic. This is basically a Kendrick Lamar album, pretty much. Like, it's kind of like what Diddy used to do or Puff Daddy used to do, where, where like, and even mentions Diddy. So, um, yeah, I loved it. What do you think about the score? Cause like, I was listening like more intently when I watched the film again today. What did you think about the score? It's strong. I like it. I like, yeah. I, like the, I like the soundtrack more. Like I said, what I do with, when I, when I write is weird because I just put all the Marvel soundtracks in a um in a um playlist and I just hit shuffle while I'm writing so I can just do whatever. So like I said, it's um I like this I think I, I might like the the Thor score a little bit more, but I like this this might just be close behind it. I like the the whole eighties vibe that um that that um that synthesizer kind of feel that the uh, Thor soundtrack had. But I like the fact that it's this sounds closer, you know what it sounds like to me? Because I'm so used to the Avatar score. This is the one where it sounds familiar. Yeah. Where the Avatar score has the same feel as this one. I think that's because like, and like I said, it's no knock. It's, it's no knock against the score, but it just takes me. I think out of everything, I know you guys said the Avatar thing, but this is the this is the the part of the movie that reminds me of the Avatar the most when I hear this stuff right there, like that that tribal kind of joyous feel. But then, but then the, the twist is whenever you hear um Killmonger stuff, it kind of goes to that kind of like that more of like that that street kind of edge kind of thing like that. When you hear the when you hear the um the Killmonger tracks, I like that too. But it's enjoyable. I liked it a lot. It's one of the stronger. It's one of the stronger scores that Marvel had. Yeah, and when you get the the kind of really OTT emotional moments or like moments of huge drama, you get strings as well, and that's the kind of James Cameron vibe. Like whether it's Titanic or Avatar, that's the kind of the, the vibe that I got. Um, okay, there, there's only a couple of things else to mention. Like basically, I think it's interesting that they and, and clever that they they released this in Black History Month. Um, 
if there's one podcast I would recommend, uh, like if you're interested in the whole Black History Month thing, go back and listen to our podcast that I did with um, with Cage Sparks on Richard Williams. Uh, he's the father of Serena, Serena Williams, and it's about his book, Black and White, the way I see it. I just employ you, go and listen to that. It's phenomenal. If you haven't read the book, read it. It's incredible. So Richard Williams, Black and White, the way I see it. Um, it just... It taught me so much about what it meant for people of his generation and previous generations to be growing up uh, black in in America, and it's just phenomenal. Um, and, and I think that's pretty much it. Have you got anything else to add? I, I know that you said before. The, the only thing else that I'd add is basically Iron Man was only ten years ago now, and like we had Wonder Woman last year and then Black Panther this year considering how slowly Hollywood moves, Hollywood is the tanker that takes like five days to turn around, basically. So I'm quite impressed that this whole Marvel thing from 10 years has got from like that to where we are now. And I think they deserve a bit of credit, frankly. Um, you know, not just for this, but even for Thor Ragnarok as well. Um, how do you think How do you think that is? And Cause here's like the thing. moving forward as well, like where do you think they're going to go? Because if people understand the politics of the behind the scenes Marvel stuff, up until up until Age of Ultron, Feige didn't have direct control over it. He had the answer to a guy named Ike Perlmutter who owned all of Marvel's the, the comic books, the TV shows, all that stuff like that. And Perlmutter was the one that didn't believe that minorities could sell movies. Perlmutter was the one that believed women can sell movies. He wasn't a fan of selling women's toys and stuff like that. So during the time of Age of Ultron, Feige had enough. He went to Alan Horn and he went to Bob Iger, two of the head guys of um, Disney. And he said, listen, if I can't have control, if I can't answer to you guys instead of that guy, then I'm just going to walk. And they knew that Kevin Feige is the most sought after producer in Hollywood. So they turned it over. So you can see, you, you can see before um, Feige took over, you see after Feige took over. And if you watch out as Feige took over, you've seen more women, you've seen, and this is what, this, and this is where, this is where social media needs to relax and do their fucking research. It pisses me off sometimes. Because it's Hollywood, so absolutely, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defending Hollywood at all. I'm not defending at all because there's bullshit and I've been in it and I've seen it and stuff like that. But you have to look at the bigger picture and you have to look at what's going on right now. Matter of fact, he said, he's like, he even said at the interview one time, he's like, he's going to make an all-female Marvel movie. He was like, oh, he's not going to do that. I'm like, do you see the shit he's doing right now? You can't sit there and tell me he's not, he's not, he's not backing up his word. Right now, you have, you have, you have, uh, you had um, uh, Thor Ragnarok directed by 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 a Maori from um from New Zealand. You have that. You're saying you have Ryan Coogler directing this. You have Infinity War, which if you didn't see the trailers, but what, what, what but there's a lot of my. There's a lot of people playing big parts from different cultures in that movie. Um, you got Ant Man and the Wasp, where you got you got you got two movies back to back where females are the are the main character in both of the movies. You have the Wasp and Ant Man in this in this one, and then you have Captain Marvel. So the next two movies after Infinity War are very women centric, and then you have um, Infinity War Part Two, which is gonna be even more. Um, then you have Spider Man. You have more women, and then going back to Spider Man, you have more cultural stuff like that. And then once he gets X Men back, he's getting that. He's making a Black Widow movie. Like he's doing what he's backing up what he's doing. And he said he said in interviews right now, he's like, we're going more diverse. So you're gonna see more stuff going on later. And then when he gets the X-Men back and the X-Men are all about diversity, you know how the X-Men were more were, were more white and where Fox had him. Once he gets a hold of them, that's the biggest X-Men and the MCU is gonna be insane. It's gonna be ridiculous. Say that right now. So just the fact in ten years you went from um Thor, Iron Man, um, 
Captain America, stuff like that. Now you got Tessa Thompson. Now you got all these women. He even said in an interview right now, he's like, he's debating on because even in comic books, you have it where the women have their own movie from Wakanda. He's like, there could be a movie where it's like, okay, like it could be the Dora Milaje going on their own adventure. Not even have to have Black Panther in it. So the options are endless for that universe right there. So I don't think people give them enough credit. Like, there's a lot of stuff to criticize in Marvel, but they moved for, for a 10-year studio, they moved faster than Hollywood ever did. And so you gotta give that, like I said, you gotta give that credit. Is there things they can work on? Absolutely. There's all but here's the thing: there's always stuff corporations can work on. Corporations, corporations' goal is to make money at the end of the day. So any kind of progression is a miracle in and of itself. Yep. And I think, you know, you've got to give them credit. I think we're moving in the right direction. That's the most you can ask right now, pretty much. Um, you know, I, I think I don't think what was helpful is saying, oh, they should give 25% of the profits to black community <laughs> and stuff. Because, I just got mad, dog. Oh, my God. I, I just, th- th- this is where people need to just n- not tweet so much, basically. Like, just, just think, just pause for a minute and think, if you were at your job, yeah, would you want someone just coming? Do you know what I mean? Like, like there, there are actual systems in place and incentives where people want to make money and deserve to make money because they're the ones fronting all the money in the first place. You know, they come up with the intellectual property. They do this, they do that. You know, you can't just say, oh, yeah, just take the money and give it away. No, no, just don't do that. Yeah, just don't suggest that. I just think that's stupid. Um, there, the last, oh, sorry, go on. They're entertainment business. Like, it's great that... Here's the thing. I'm all for representation. I think it's great. I'm pro-representation. I'm not anti-stuff like that. But like you said, you have to look at the bigger picture. They're enter entertainment industry. And they're there to make money. And the fact is they have to answer the shareholders. Now, the fact that he's making the money while doing progression, you have to applaud that. But at the same time, somebody tweeted like this. If you want to get mad at fucking somebody, get mad at your fucking, your fucking representatives for not donating to, to, to making sure that the black community is getting shit like that those are the people that are taking your money and doing that shit like that that's a move that's a, a movie that you don't have to pay them that money if you don't want if you don't if you don't like what marvel's doing then don't buy their merchandise don't do that stuff like that or if anything it's like Tyler Bowling was saying on this interview he was like listen man like and ryan cooper was like listen if you want us if you want that then you got to support us so we can support you your goal is to, and it was funny because uh Tyler Bowling was like don't bootleg this movie show support because the more that these movies are successful with people of people of color and minorities, then the more we get work and the more we get pumping in, into our thing and go down there. But the problem is right now, and it's going and like the thing they showed today, talking about how the Russians like manipulated the American psychology. They're master psychologists. They fuck, and they was like, and like, and I and I believe part of it is, is like they sow these they sow these seeds of dissension. They play on people's ignorance and they play on people's like 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 fears. And then that's why we get what we get right now. So people say, you should donate 25%. Like, you're not thinking, dog. You're really not. You're getting mad at the wrong person. Relax. Yep. So I'm sorry, what were you going to say? No, that's it. That's it. Nothing else, to be honest. Uh, I probably had a point, but it's probably not worth making. <laughs> I can't remember if I can't remember it. Um, I think that's pretty much us wrapped up. Did you want to have, uh, did you have any other further points? Nah, the only thing I'm saying is I, I, I believe like as, as great as this movie is, is, is going to be culturally, and I think it's important, don't get me wrong, but I think this is going to be one of the best one-two punches ever because this is like, because like, I'm sitting there looking at this, and like, I'm looking at stuff, and it's like, it's going to make $200 million in America in four days. That's ridiculous. And I'm saying, and, 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 and Marvel's on a string right now. From Civil War up until now, I mean, regardless of what, how people feel about certain other ones like that, but you, you you think about movies and you, and you think about like the complexity of certain things like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, 
And you think about the discipline that it took for one studio to build all this shit. Now, you could be jaded and go, oh, there's a movie every other year, blah, 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 like that. But you have to sit there and take a step back. I always say the MCU is like a, like a, like a patchwork quilt. It's like there's four big patches in the middle, which are all the four Avenger movies. And then you have these, these, these smaller patches, but they're big, but they're smaller patches that are surrounding it, like Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Thor, um, Iron Man, stuff like that. Like, you have to sit there, and we're taking it for granted. Like, this is unprecedented. On this level, like, you had Star Wars, where George Lucas did, like, six movies within the span of, like, 30 years. I mean, you have, like, you had James Bond, but that was, like, interspersed, but it wasn't connected. It was just, like, you had, like, it dispersed, and sometimes it had its highs and it had its lows. But you, I've never seen a, 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 a studio that's consistent. And you say the, the worst movie that they had are just average or mediocre. There's nothing terrible. But there's like, at the worst, they're mediocre or like, you're like meh for certain people. But to have that level and that discipline, I think is incredible. But I think people are not going to appreciate that until 2019, where everybody can take a step back and go, holy shit, this is a fucking incredible legacy. But to have something like Black Panther, majority black people, directed by a black person, women behind the lens, this and that, a, a director who is, pro, is so pro-woman, he prefers to surround himself behind the scenes with women rather than men. You know what I'm saying? And he's not disrespecting men. Don't get me, he got men too. But he's just, he, he thinks women just vows as guys. Like, that's impressive for Hollywood. Like, this is, this is groundbreaking socially on so many levels. Now, I want people to relax and just enjoy the movie. I'm not saying, like, you should, like, go, but, I mean, I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm not saying. I'm not saying not get excited. I'm saying the proper measure, but these people take it to like the next esteem. They need to relax and they start attacking people for enjoying it too much or people attacking people for not liking it. People are not going to like the movie. I will say this on this thing. There's going to be a backlash to this movie. There's always a backlash in the year of our, the year of in the social media age. People, if you love the movie, don't, don't, don't feed the trolls. They're going to try to steal your joy. If you love the movie, love the movie. And guys, if you hate the movie, then let the people enjoy it. You know what I'm trying to say? There's other movies for you to enjoy. But I know next week is going to be terrible because people are going to have their hot takes and they're going to have their think pieces. But I really believe that this movie is going to influence a young generation of people to get more involved in looking at their heritage, no matter what color you are. It's going to do, it's going to, it's, it's going to influence people who want to be, because it's funny, because Ryan Coogler went to a, um, went to this, uh, thing called a ghetto film, something like that, where it's like, um, they pull kids from inner cities and they try to get them involved with filmmaking. And they brought those kids to the um, the Black Panther premiere. So you're gonna have a whole generation of kids who are who are minorities going to go and want to go into film. Ryan Coogler is gonna be. I, here's what I said. You said it earlier. Ryan Coogler is gonna be the George Lucas that minorities are looking for. I love George Lucas. George Lucas is a huge influence on me. I will never say a bad thing about George. He has his issues stuff like that, but he pretty much fueled my life creativity. But I think Ryan Coogler is gonna be that guy, especially if there's a Black Panther trilogy. He's going to be that George Lucas to these kids that are looking for that kind of thing. Somebody that's not a white guy. Look like you. And there's no offense against white guys. I love everybody. I'm not, a, I'm not like that. But sometimes you need to see somebody like you to be influenced by that certain thing. And I think that's what's going to help right here. And I think with, with, um, with Ava DuVernay with The Wrinkle in Time, I think she's going to do the same thing. So it's a good time to be a film fan right now. Yeah, I think this film is really racist against white males, if I'm <laughs> honest. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just very upset on behalf. <laughs> they're so phony with that shit, man. You know what? They're not. They can't even keep the, the fakeness up. Come on, now, those motherfuckers, dog. They're so so predictable. You know, you don't believe the shit you're saying. You know, you don't believe it. 
If you, you think you know what, you know what? Do you, do you just think a lot of white guys, just normal white guys, not trolly white yeah. guys, are just really embarrassed? Like they just, are just like they just must be. Just, in this kind of situation, they just be like squirming in their seats, like shit, man. I look like that dude, but I'm nothing like that dude, and I just get lobbed in the same bucket as that L- dude. You know what I mean? They must yeah. just be. It must just irk them, you know. If this proves, if this movie proves anything, it already been proven a long time ago. But Hollywood still needs to learn of the same lesson every year. There are so many white people in that audience. That shows you they don't... I always said this. this is, here's my theory about America. I always believe that the vocal minority and the people in power are the idiots. I think the majority of Americans just want to get along and move the fuck on. I think the majority of Americans want to take care of their families. You do you. You do me. And we're cool. As long as you don't fuck with my family, I won't fuck with your family. I really believe that in my heart. At least on the coast. I don't know about the middle or something like that. But I just know at least on here... And I seen that movie theater, and people are laughing along with it. There's little white kids laughing at stuff like that. They don't care about that shit. I think, and I think, and I, 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 I kind of feel the same way. I don't know how it is in Britain, but I kind of feel the same way. I think the vocal minority, I think the people that wanted to move on, we took, we, we took voting for granted, and we fucked it up in a way. I know we fucked up in America. I don't know how it is in your spot, because I can say it. I mean, I'm looking at it from the outside. I'm like, you guys don't seem like that. And from what I'm hearing is that you guys didn't want Brexit. And I guess people just stayed home and didn't do it. Same thing with America. People, people just sat home. Fifty percent of the people in our country didn't vote, and then we got this. We got and we got we're the mess we got here. And I think I remember you telling me that the same thing. So I, it's not that I really believe that this. I really believe in my heart of our hearts. The majority of the, of the world really wants to move the fuck on. At least the people who are educated. Not I'm not saying you got to be Ivy League, but relatively educated, have some kind of sense. I do believe there's more of us than them. But I really believe we dropped the ball in some respects because we took it for granted. But I don't know. But but if anything, this movie's showing me this movie's gonna make two hundred million dollars on four days. This shows you out of saddle of doubt that it's Hollywood that's a fucking problem, not America or not Britain or not stuff. They, 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 they said they had great openings in Ireland, they had great openings all around the world. Like they said, they had great openings in Australia. So it's showing you that people don't give a shit about who the who the who the who the person is. Just make a good fucking movie, and we'll come. Yeah, if you build it, they will come. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I think the only last point I want to make is that I like looking at Twitter, just clicking on the Black Panther hashtag. <laughs> it's just this minefield. <laughs> but but I think one of the interesting things is going to be how this actually all pans out because if there's one one kind of slight, almost bordering on advice thing I could say to like the younger folks is feel inspired by this film, enjoy this film, but. Like use it as 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 steam to power your dream, as Kanye said. Yeah, but but your dream doesn't have to be going into the entertainment industry. <laughs> like you know, like I'm sorry, but there's enough there's enough kind of people already with that dream, right? If that's your burgeoning dream from when you were a kid, fine. But you know, if your dream was to be an accountant, yeah, but you just need the swagger. Let this film power your dream to be an accountant. Yeah, whatever it is, just just sample that from this film. I think a lot of people. I'm very wary of like slacktivism because I know I'm as bad as anyone else sometimes. Yeah. I, I suddenly perk up in election years and shit. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, you know, I know we've had discussions on this before and you're trying to make more moves and stuff yourself personally in non election years and actually really involve yourselves, uh, involve yourself in politics. I, I think that's, that's a huge thing. Not just, not just for the black community in America, but anyone anywhere. If your country is in the shit. Yeah. And 
let's face it, pretty much every single country in the world is, then then you've got to step up. And like I'm saying this to myself as well. And and the film is not going to solve your problems. You know, this is a superhero film. Okay, great. It's got a black director. It's got black cast. It's brilliant. Yeah. But but actually, like, use, use that to, to power you towards actual real change. Because this is Hollywood. Hollywood's removed. You know, this is money and this is Hollywood and it's entertainment. But there are other real things that are alluded to in the film. Yeah, take the message from the film and apply it to real life. You know, I think that's what that's what's so fascinating about this film. Be Killmonger, you know, but just not quite so psycho, basically. You know, I don't know. I think it's. I just think it's interesting. I think there's so much to unpack and like we've gone on for over two hours now. Basically, we could go on for another two. We're not going to obviously, but I just think I just think it's fascinating. I think that's what so much more so than Star Wars. Like that most recent Star Wars film. Like to me, that's gone now. Basically, it's like the Eminem album. It's just gone. That like belongs in 2017. But I think Black Panther moving forward is going to be fascinating. It's kind of like Get Out, but but on a massive scale. I will so, make a. I will make a statement by the time. Okay, by the time 2019, because I know it's going to be sacrilege, and I've been saying this for a long time, because here's the thing, here's the thing with Star Wars and and um and, and the MCU. St- Star Wars is a progenitor for like a lot of stuff, and it's great, don't get me wrong like that. But I think going going forward, that at least with Hollywood and how people perceive certain things, and especially if they stick to landing with um with um Avengers 4, is that if they stick to landing with Avengers 4, then the only thing that Star Wars can compete with the MCU on. If you're talking about just like straight storytelling characters, stuff like that, the only thing that Star Wars has on it is 40 years of nostalgia. Because if you really want to give, if you want to give credit to do, there's a roster, there's a roster of characters. Like, don't get me wrong, there's Han, Luke, Leia, Anakin, all stuff like that. But the roster that Marvel has is astounding on that kind of thing right there. Just a part of like that. And there's going to be so many people going to be on and stuff like that. So I, I, and like you said, going back to the, the last the last Jedi thing, like I said, there's more. I think more people are going to be influenced by, and, and people will say I'm crazy. I think more people are going to be more inspired by Black Panther than they're going to be by the Last Jedi. Because to be honest with you, I don't remember any. Because like I mean, just just going around talking to people, looking on the internet, and just going out in the real world, I don't see people being vibrant about it or inspired by it. But I can see people are going to be inspired by this. Like you said, they may not go in the entertainment industry. They just might want to know more about themselves. They just might want to get involved to help people a little bit more. I think that's the stuff that's going to be long, Jordan. And I and if people use and I always said this, if I had kids, if people were to use these 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 children's stories as a tool to kind of like get their kids further rather than just using them as like a stinking um, babysitter, then, it's, <laughs> then it'll be a lot better. That's what mythology was supposed to be. It's supposed to tell these people about what the world is, and then you build on from there. Not to punk your kid in front of a TV and just stare at it and go, "Okay, let yeah, me go. Yeah, do what I gotta yeah. do." And I, I think so much, and that's the problem. And that's what Star Wars was supposed to be used for. George Lucas made Star Wars to tell kids about what the world is, and this is what a good person does. This is what a bad person does. And then adults come along and say, oh, "I want people to die." I'm like, "Fucking relax." I put on I put on Twitter this day. I was like, "Avengers is about the world coming together and unifying to go against a common threat. It's not about who's going to die and who how many people are going to die. It's not about that. Adults make it about that. I want to see people die. I want to see death and destruction. I'm like, go to fuck up. Come on." The, the Avengers, these Avengers movies and stuff like that is about okay, we're fa- we f- we're fall- we're fallible people, we have fallible institutions, but we still have to work hard to rise against that, and that's what these movies are about. Tony Stark had to had to take accountability for being a war profiteer, and he still struggles with that throughout every movie. It doesn't go away. Every time he tries to, do, it's like the road the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but you still have to try to do the right thing anyway. 
and people miss that. I want to see people die and this and that. And that's what not. And it, but the adults are not taken away. That's what the adults are taking away. I want to see blah blah blah. And sometimes adults just go over their fucking heads. But the kids need to see this stuff. And if adults are wise enough, then they will take these stories and go, okay, you see how Tony Stark is like this? You see how Thor was arrogant? You see how Captain America is? You see how he felt short here? You see how Bad Panther did this? You see how Killmonger's here? You see how Ultron is there? That's the tools supposed to use this for. That's what comic books are supposed to be for. They tell you how to be a good person. Not frivolous entertainment, like how people try to make it. But that's another story for another day. I think we should wrap up on that excellent note. Um... So don't forget to catch us on Twitter at T underscore Rebels and Facebook at Transatlantic Rebels Podcast. So it's goodbye from Rashad and it's goodbye from me, Jessel. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever.